Blog Talk Radio. As the season is now upon us, Alabama 1-0 following the 52-6 beatdown of the Southern California Trojans in Dallas, Texas at the Jerry Dome. I'm your host, Drudy Armand, and I'm live here with Thomas The Rock Watts, producer extraordinaire and also my co-host. Our uh, third musketeer will be here in about five minutes, William Redfish Barger. But Thomas, uh, you let off my show Talking Ball Monday after a long trip to Dallas, and you got a chance to see the beatdown in person and got to give you a lot of credit for most of the uh, offseason, you called it, my friend. Well, you know, and then I bombed out on Auburn. So, you know, there, there, there is a scale balancing to be had. But, no, it was, it was a fun trip. It, it would have been a much, much longer drive had the uh, Crimson Tide not won the game. But, you know, a 52-6 to win, I'll take it. You know, there's there's not much more to say to that, and there were a lot of good things. You know, I'm sure we'll talk about it a lot, particularly when William comes on with us. There were a lot of good things to pull out of that game. But Drew, I want to say real quick before we really get into the meat of the show, reminder to our listeners: we are going to have a tailgate. It'll be uh, in front of Moore Hall this season. We're doing it a little different. It's uh, five dollars or food potluck style. So uh, you know, come in, help us out, support Bams Radio. The proceeds from the first tailgate will be going to help some folks out down in Baton Rouge because they're obviously still recovering from the devastating flood. So I just wanted to get that quick plug in there, Drew. But, but you know, going back to the action on the gridiron, a lot of good things from the Crimson Tide, and uh, a wild quarterback has appeared, and uh, a lot of things to be excited about there. What, what was your take on, on the quarterback situation? I, I'll softball you that one while I get redfish. Uh, well, you know, as I kept uh, hashtagging on Twitter, Ryan, uh, I mean, excuse me, Thomas, uh, uh, pardon me, uh, in joking with Ryan Fowler, uh, Ryan, uh, during the week, had uh, tipped me, uh, we had been communicating constantly, and we knew Blake Barnett was going to start, and uh, he uh, he had told me, you know, uh, you were a member of the Blake Barnett bus for so long, and now you're going to have to go to the back of the bus, he's going to start, but uh, by the uh, middle of the third quarter, uh, I texted Ryan and I said, "Hey, you know, you can join William Barger and I uh, on the uh, Hurts So Good train uh, because uh, Hurt Jalen Hurts uh, settled down by the end of the second quarter through that laser forty-yard TD to our Darius Stewart, uh, and it was just a coronation from there. Uh, two touchdown passes, two touchdowns rushing. You know, he threw one interception, but he's going to have growing pains. There's no doubt about it. Uh, you know, and the, the, that's to be expected. And he lost the fumble on the first snap, but." He played with such poise, you know. He hit the Ardarius on a on the on the on the blitz by Southern Cal early in the third quarter to really put the game away, 71 yards, and just really was a really sharp, I thought, for a true freshman. And then I was proud of Blake Barnett. I got a lot of reaction because uh, I, I thought it was uh, apropos to say uh, that he came back uh, and at the end of the game in mop-up duty, and he threw three lasers, and he responded well. I mean, he was uh, really really a solid. Uh, he threw the football like you know you see he's capable of doing and. He, he made it still a competition. I still think Jalen Hurts 
is going to start uh, the ball game this week uh, and get a chance to win the job, but they're going to compete against Western Kentucky, who's a quality opponent, and we'll see who comes out on top. But really excited about the possibilities with Jalen Hurts uh, at the controls with the keys to the car. Absolutely. And I was, I was, I'm glad you brought up the Blake Barnett. You know, the game was in garbage time, but he came out and performed, you know, fairly well. He was throwing the ball around. He got comfortable. And it will be interesting to see. I completely agree with you that Jalen Hurts deserves the start, given what we saw this past Saturday. But I think there's still a crack in that door, and it remains to be seen. Now, I wish nothing but success for Jalen Hurts because, well, first off, Alabama is my team, and second off, that is, that is a very, very exciting young man to watch play football. But it's just, I think it's interesting. And I'm, like, like I said, Drew, I'm glad you brought up that I think the quarterback competition is still ongoing. Now, Jalen Hurts can absolutely shut the door if he comes out and plays mistake-free football. That's really the thing. If you look at Jalen Hurts, if you want to knock him for that first performance, and first off, most of the knocks would have to be very slight, it's that he did have the turnovers. Get rid of the turnovers, you're set. But, you know, I, I would honestly accept some of those turnovers slash growing pains, given what we saw on the other side of the football, Drew. You know, the defense, what did I say on your show? A swarm of angry killer elephants? Yeah, I mean, they were nasty, man. Uh, really, really fun to watch. The fastest defense I've seen under Nick Saban. And watching Reuben Foster uh, lead the team and uh, be a heat-seeking missile uh, from his middle linebacker spot was really fun. I mean, you've seen Marlon Humphrey and, uh, and uh, you know, how he played in shutting down Juju Smith-Schuster. And I thought that would be a big test coming in. I wondered if Marlon was ready uh, to be a big-time corner. You know, William has talked about him being eligible for the draft, which he is. If he continues to play at the level we saw, he will not be back at Alabama uh, for his redshirt junior year. I mean, he would be crazy. He would be a high first-round draft pick, uh, maybe the top corner in the draft. So we're going to have to see where that goes. But for the first chapter, Marlon Humphrey, we all knew how good he was, at least uh, we thought so at uh, Hoover High School. Many uh, were wondering, well, why did he have to redshirt? He had to get bigger, and, of course, he'd always – uh, had track as a priority in high school as well at Hoover High, but he's now been in Scott Cochran's strength program for two years. You've seen what he's done. Uh, he uh, had a good freshman year uh, and had, was a uh, freshman All-American, freshman All-SEC, and now is looking to take that next step to be truly elite and perhaps the, the top corner in college football, Eddie Jackson, uh, could be the top safety. And then you have John Allen with two sacks, uh, just off to a great start. Deron Payne, as good as any interior defensive lineman. They just need to stay healthy with that group, Thomas, but it has a chance. And William Barger, who's now with us on the Sunbelt 10s hotline, he has said this defense has a chance to be even better than last year. And the first chapter made everybody uh, just uh, really, really excited to see what could happen uh, in the future. And, William, how are you doing tonight? Doing great, Drew. How about you, buddy? Doing well, man. And, I know uh, you've been uh, adamant. I've talked to you some, and uh, we've communicated. You were really, really pleased uh, with how that opener went, and how could you not be? Well, you know, it's it was kind of funny how it all played out. I've, I've been, uh, you know, dealing with the Internet now for probably 20 years, and, and uh, I, I still will never forget, uh, you know, after, you know, watching him in high school and, and, you know, watching him in that first scrimmage and then getting reports after all that stuff. 
uh, you know, last Monday when Nick Saban announced that, you know, the quarterback situation was down to Blake Barnett and Cooper Bateman. Uh, <laughs> I was at work and was sitting there staring at my, my computer screen, and I kept hitting the refresh button and hitting the refresh button. And probably at some point in time, I had some drool drip, you know, drip out of the side of my mouth, and I was just like, you know, uh, it's my, it's either time for me to stop, you know, paying attention to this stuff because maybe I don't know what I'm looking at, or you know, maybe Nick Saban's just trolling the, my, you know, my freaking testicles off. Uh, come to find <laughs> out, that's what he was doing. Um, you know, because I know I came on this show two weeks ago and said, you know, that he was, you know, the best quarterback on campus. And uh, you know, it wasn't a popular thing that I said, but you know, I started telling you that. You know, don't don't believe what you read on all these practice reports that Damian Harris is going to be the first team running back. And uh, you know, I got a lot of grief about that. But you know, I was just you know trying to repeat what I had been told and what I had seen. And uh, you know, I, I think you know based on everything that happened on Saturday, um, there, there's no question that Jalen Hurts and Damian Harris are the best quarterback and the best running back currently on that team. But you know, so many good things to talk about. Um, you know, I, I, I've, I've seen it enough over the years. I don't think that USC is, you know, the best coach team I've seen. Uh, but, you know, they've got four- and five-star players scattered out, you know, across that roster. Um, you know, despite them not being coached that well, I still think that was a very good quality win, especially in a season opener. You know, if you start talking about Drew, you know, there were four new starters on that offensive line. And I think the thing that excites me the most is if that same lineup stays in place throughout the rest of the season, you're going to have four out of five of those guys coming back for next year. You know, Cam Robinson's going to be the only one that, you know, that disappears. Um, so, you know, you're going to have – you're only going to lose Cam Robinson and O.J. Howard um, off of those starters on offense. Now, obviously, you flip it over to the other side of the ball, and there's going to be quite a few departures. But, man, it was just fun to watch, you know, that, you know, watching Reuben Foster deplete people. You know, probably the signature play for me, uh, you know, on defense Saturday night was, you know, when, you know, a guy that I think has been underappreciated by Alabama fans, uh, you know, Sean Dion Hamilton, uh, you know, ran out like a scalded dog and turned the, the USC running back inside. And Marlon Humphrey came up and just waxed it. Uh, yeah, I love mm-hmm. seeing, a, you know, a corner, um, you know, come up there and, and, you know, be that physical and run support. It was great to see. Yeah, it really was. Uh, I, I was – I just was, you know, I, you know, I, after I watched the defense and scrimmages and on fan day, I just knew the, how fast the group was, and and uh, I, that's what I, I enjoyed it as well. I enjoyed watching Ruben close on guys. You're talking about the play uh, Marlon Humphrey made. How much it, I, I think really Sean Dion Hamilton has kind of been flying under the radar. People don't really know how good he is. Uh, he's and then we know that Rashawn Evans is going to continue to get uh, you know more and more confident in what he's doing. But I just the, the defense as a whole, just the way they ran to the football uh, and Aver, it was victimized a little bit, which you could expect. But I still thought it was uh, uh, big that he led the team in tackles with eight. I thought overall they tackled really well, William. Well, you know, talking about Aver specifically, I personally don't have a problem at all. 
you know, with the two big plays that he gave up. I mean, it wasn't like he was beat or burnt, you know, straight out of the gate. Um, it was more of a technique issue. Uh, you know, right. getting his head turned around a little bit earlier than he did. And, you know, I know Nick Saban has a little bit different technique that he teaches those guys and some other, you know, defensive back coaches do. But, you know, I, I, look, if that's all you give up, um, you know, by mid-October, he's not going to be giving up those plays because he's going to have the coaching in place um, that eliminates that stuff. You know, to me, um, you know, the, the, the thing that I noticed, right, you know, probably mid-first quarter, maybe into the second quarter, is when, when the camera would pan over there to the sideline, you know, you didn't see Kirby Smart having a nervous breakdown with five seconds left to go before the ball was snapped, trying to get the defense into the right position. Um, you know, I would, you know, be willing to bet if somebody had put a uh, a heart monitor on Jeremy Pruitt, his pulse never got above 70. And, uh, you know, yeah, I think he, that was a big bonus. Great point. Yeah, I, um, I thought Again, I thought you, know, you, you were talking yep. about John Allen, you know, a minute ago mm-hmm. and those, you know, those front seven guys. Uh, you know, even though Tim Williams didn't get probably the production that people were expecting to, you know, in that first game, you know, kind of put yourself into that mindset, you know, with those, you know, those those defensive line guys, uh, you know, between John Allen and, and Tim Williams and Ryan Anderson. You know, it's gotten to the point now to where, um, you know, who gets back there first, it's almost like a greyhound dog race. Um, to who gets back there to the quarterback first, you know, one guy might miss, the next one, uh, you know, cleans it up. There were a couple of times that, you know, Deron Payne and Dalvin Tomlinson got back there uh, first before everybody, and, you know, either John Allen or Ryan Anderson kind of cleaned that stuff up. But, man, it was it was fun to watch. Great, great first game in my mind. Yeah, I think it was probably the best I've seen any of Coach Saban seems playing, that's uh, saying something. And I agree with you. You know, Southern California, they may have some coaching deficiencies, but I think Pendergast is a good defensive coordinator. Uh, we'll see how T. Martin does as an OC. They do have talent. Uh, Dory Jackson is a future first-rounder. Uh, he's the one that kept Damian Harris out of the end zone. And, uh, you know, I, and then I guess but, but first of all, before we circle back to the quarterbacks, I thought all four runners did a good job. I uh, was really impressed with Joshua Jacobs yet again, William, and his limited opportunities. And then Harris, I thought what set him and Bo Scarborough apart is Harris's vision and cutting ability. But Bo can be- play a viable role as a sledgehammer against a tired defense. No, and I agree. I mean, like right now, I would rank the running backs, uh, you know, going into the, the uh, Western Kentucky game, you know, Damian Harris one, Joshua Jacobs two, Bo Scarborough three, you know, B.J. Emmons four. And that's just based on one game. Um, you know, I think that, you know, that Harris is, you know, he's got that, you know, unquenchable work ethic. He's he's come so far. You know, last year I think the fan base kind of, you know, got a bad taste in their mouth towards him because, you know, he was the Kentucky player of the year. Some people had him rated, the, you know, the number one running back in the country. He was a five-star guy, and they expected, you know, Mark Ingram, Trent Richard, and, you know, Richardson-type production. But, you know, not everybody is ready for prime time, you know, coming straight out of high school. And I think he needed a year in the weight room uh, to bulk up. And, you know, let's let's not kid ourselves. You know, I think, you know, 
he he was really probably not slated last year to be the number two guy. Um, was kind of forced into that role with you know Kenyon Drake's nagging injuries, um, but you know he's come back from from you know a, a subpar freshman season. Even though I think that's probably a an unfair label to put on him, but like you said, Drew, you know very good cutting, quick twitch ability. Um, you know, there's no shame in being walked down by a guy that could probably be on the Olympic sprint team in a Dory Jackson. Um, but, but I think Alabama, um, you know, last year it was kind of a de facto. We all knew that Derrick Henry was the bell cow, obviously. You know, he won the Heisman Trophy. But, you know, there's no shame in having, you know, running back by committee. All those guys have different skill sets that they bring to the table. And, you know, it's kind of the same situation they're in, you know, at the quarterback spot. You know, I think both guys, um, you know, have, you know, very good tangible skill sets they bring to the table. Um, and we'll see what happens Saturday. It's just, you know, last Saturday, I think, um, you know, the team kind of rallied and, and um, you know, it's kind of like, you know, Drew and I, you know, we talked about this offline um, after the two scrimmages. Um, and I, this is how I've kind of approached the season. You know, you're going to have mistakes that are made by Jalen Hurts. Um, you know, he made some in the scrimmages. He made some, obviously, you know, uh, against Southern Cal. But he's going to back those mistakes up with explosive plays. And I think that's kind of where the coaching staff is at right now at the quarterback spot. And speaking of the quarterback spot, William, um, we saw Blake Barnett start. He looked a little shaky. He missed Calvin Ridley on a screen early that looked like it would have been a big play. Uh, but Jalen Hurts came in. He lost the fumble on the first snap. But, you know, in a way, I think it was good for him because it showed his maturity and poise. He didn't let it get him down. The offense was struggling a little bit, the O-line to gel. Uh, but uh, that that 40-yard rope to Ardarius Stewart, really over 50 yards in the air, what a play it was on third and long and uh, really started an avalanche. And you saw Jalen Hurts get more and more confident. Just your thoughts overall on his performance. Well, you know, I think it all starts, Drew, with the offensive line. And, you know, I kind of lived through, um, you know, one of those experiences my sophomore year. We strolled up to Memphis and basically got our asses handed to us. This is, you know, back when Joe Lee Dunn, um, you know, was the defensive coordinator at Memphis. He had, you know, ended up being at Old Miss when I was a senior. And he had this you know, deal that he did called the uh, the Yellow Jacket defense. And what he would do is he would get his front seven people to kind of huddle up over the, the ball. And when the ball was snapped, they all dispersed. And mm-hmm. that's kind of what I would equate, you know, to people that had a problem with the offensive line play Saturday, you know, with USC, you know, run blitzing and stunning people everywhere. And, again, keep in mind, there were four new starters at four different positions out there for Alabama. Um, but, you know, it, it took them a quarter and a half to get comfortable. And, you know, I, I certainly do think, you know, when, when, when you saw Jalen Hurts get inserted into the game, you know, you saw Helton call timeout and say, hey, you know, we've, we've got to, you know, reconfigure what we're doing here now that they're putting Hurts in a quarterback. And I do think that thread of a – uh, you know, a dual-threat quarterback, uh, you know, kind of changed their game plan defensively there. Um, but, you know, 
again, anytime you have, you know, people shooting gaps and blitzing, you know, from a blocking scheme standpoint, you know, it screws stuff up. And, uh, you know, I, I thought, you know, by midway, maybe three quarters of the way through the, the second quarter, I thought they cleaned a lot of that stuff up. You know, you saw Harris had those two big runs. Uh, when Joshua Jacobs got his opportunities, he had, you know, five, seven-yard pops. Um, you know, I really thought that the, the offense got clicking there for a couple of quarters. And, uh, you know, I think they just need to build on that. You know, th- this game this weekend, uh, you know, with Jeff Brom, who is a, a Bobby Petrino protege, um, you know, what a perfect warm-up for what they're going to see a week from Saturday versus Old Miss. You know, they, they, Western Kentucky runs a hurry-up, no huddle. Uh, you know, Texas A&M type spread offense throws the football all over the place. So, you know, the defense is going to see, you know, the same things that they're going to see next Saturday versus Old Miss. You know, on the other side of the ball, they're they're really – not that good on defense. Um, so, you know, I think it's a great opportunity for, you know, Nick Saban and Lane Kiffin to continue the quarterback experience, you know, whatever that turns out to be on Saturday between Barnett and Hurts. Um, but, you know, on the other side of the football, you know, I think Jeremy Pruitt's going to get a very, very good picture on how, you know, he needs to play and call the schemes two weeks from now versus Ole Miss based on what Jeff Brom and that great quarterback for Western Kentucky is going to try and do to him this weekend. Yeah, exactly. And that game in Memphis, William, uh, if we were to go, was that the 10-7 to 7 Alabama win you were talking about? Dude, listen, that was actually my 21st birthday. Um, wow. And it was, it was littered by uh, bad omens, you know, you know, <laughs> I don't know what they do now, but, you know, back then we went to a movie on Friday nights and mm-hmm. we were at this, we were going to this mall uh, in Memphis to go see the movie and, and the bus driver, uh, you know, decided to take a, a, you know, a not very navigated route and the bus got hung up on a dip in the mall parking oh, lot Lord. the movie. So that all kind of spilled over to the next day. I mean, I never will forget standing over on the sideline. And, you know, the game was in question. We couldn't generate any kind of offense. And, you know, John Copeland sacked the quarterback and pulled the ball out. And, uh, yeah, you're right. That was that 10-7 to debacle. And, you know, it was a very sloppily played, um, you know, game on both sides of the ball, um, especially Mm -hmm. offensively. But, you know, thank God for John Copeland in that game because he basically won the thing by himself. Well, I can remember because that was my first Alabama road game. I went with several friends. Uh, we had a connection to Memphis and uh, went to that game in the Liberty Bowl, and it was crazy uh, that Alabama couldn't generate any offense. Rand Stacy couldn't get anything going. And I just remember Alabama finding a way to win the game. But uh, I do remember that uh, they, they did fake a, uh, a punt, and they would have scored – uh, Memphis did by some cat named Isaac Bruce. Ended up being a pretty good receiver, but it was called back via penalty. <laughs> wow. Talk about hitting the rewind button. I, you know, I mean, trust me, I, I remember him playing for the St. Louis Rams, but I had no idea he was on the field that day. Yeah, it was. I, I just will never forget because it was over the loudspeaker, Isaac Bruce touchdown, but there was a flag down. So 
he did play for the Memphis Tigers, and he went on to have a, a close to Hall of Fame career. I mean, he's not going to quite yeah, be a Hall was, of Famer, uh, but what was, what was the he quarterback? was a great player. Kurt, Kurt Warner. He was Kurt Warner's yes. uh, receiver at yep. St. Louis. Yeah, and he wow. won a Super Bowl ring. So, yep, I, the Reverend Isaac Bruce uh, was Thank on God that Nick team that didn't day. Didn't have a quarterback to get him the ball that day. Yeah, I was going to say, you know, that's when the world started. Uh, that's when I first heard the name Joe Lee Dunn. I'd never heard of him before uh, and uh, just blitzing so many times. And uh, everybody finally figured him out after several years there at Mississippi State. But he had quite a run uh, as a defensive coordinator. But, William, we've talked about uh, the quarterbacks. And, and I, I did think Blake Barnett uh, finished strong. But as you've said, it's easier to play when you're up 30 points. Uh, but now we're going to see uh, – uh, Jalen Hurst, I think, get the start Saturday and really excited to see what he can do uh, against this Western Kentucky defense. As you said, they're not a great unit, but I just want to see him continue to improve and the, and just what the, the new wrinkles Lane Kiffin might add. Well, you know, uh, I guess starting about 20 minutes ago, Phil Savage is up here in Birmingham tonight um, speaking to the Red Elephant Club. And uh, I've been getting some texts from some friends of mine that are at the at the meeting and you know, he, he's predicting, and, you know, look, I, I love Phil. He was a graduate assistant um, under Hummer Smith, my true freshman year at Alabama in 1989. You know, I think people, uh, you know, give him a, a lot more ration of crap than he really deserves. I mean, look, he, he is, you know, very close to Nick Saban. Um, it is, you know, when Bill Battle decides to retire, I think he's going to be firmly in the mix for the next athletic director in Alabama. Uh, you know, the guy's got contacts. Um, and I understand, you know, two years ago when he predicted Jake Coker to, uh, um, you know, beat out Blake Sims. And, and, you know, well, let's look at that honestly. Why was that really that bad of a prediction? Um, you know, if he took Jameis Winston the, the wire the year before at Florida State for that job, um, it really wasn't that bad of a prediction. Um, again, I think a lot of people are dinging him because, you know, stuff that he said about Hurts, you know, back in August. But, uh, you know, I know where he gets his information from, and it's as crystal clear and, and as quality as you can get. That is what he is saying is he expects Hurts to start Saturday and, you know, maybe you see the same thing happen um, that you saw versus USC. I mean, maybe Hurts gets, you know, the first two or three series, and then, you know, they, they give it to Barnett and let Blake's, you know, sink or swim. Um, that remains to be seen. But uh, I think, you know, coming off of that Southern Cal win, I think what you have to protect against, um, you know, Drew's, you know, let's, let's hit the rewind button. Um, in September of 2012, after, you know, Alabama completely wiped Michigan off the map in the Jerry Dome, um, you know, that game was over with at halftime. They come back the next week versus, you know, Western Kentucky, a uh, different head coach, Willie Taggart, and, you know, a guy that ended up being a first-round draft pick, D.J. Fluker gave up five sacks um, to Western Kentucky that day. And, you know, I know this, if you look at the score, I think the final score was like 35 to 10 or 35 to 12, something like that. But it was a sloppily played ball game. And I think that's kind of, well, just being totally honest, you know, from a gambler standpoint, 
Um, that's always been a real safe bet during the Nick Saban era, especially after a, you know, a quality opponent in the first game. You can basically count on them coming back the next week, especially when you look at who's, who's you know, on the marquee uh, the week after Saturday talking about Ole Miss. And I think that's going to be interesting because they're a wounded football team coming off of that loss Monday night versus Florida State. You know, so I, I really want to see how this team responds. You know, do they go out there and muddle around and slop around, um, or do they pick up where they left off? And, you know, is the game out of hand, you know, the first or second series of the third quarter? And, you know, do the benches clear? And, you know, do you see Cooper Bateman playing quarterback in the latter stages of the third quarter? Yeah, and I mean that that's the ideal situation that Alabama would like to have. I predicted 42 to 9 for the score uh, that the defense would give up uh, three field goals and that they would uh, find a way to score, you know, 40 points because I'm like you, I think they're going to be able to run and throw on Western Kentucky. The biggest thing is Alabama should be able to move the football and uh, you know, Nick Saban, I think, said tonight, he has his radio show, that Alphonse Taylor is not going to start in the game, William, but he's going to play some. And you've already talked about that offensive line. I really liked the way they played for a first game. And I know Shank is a senior who started 15 games last year, but uh, I wouldn't move any of those five. I would have him as a swing guard. I think it's going to be very tough for him uh, to get his job back. No, I totally agree with you. And, and again, this is a perfect game. And I think, Drew, basically what you've got is you've got this week um, for him to get in there and maybe show what he can do. And, you know, then again, you go back to what was successful versus Ole Miss. And then the week after that, you've got Kent State where maybe you can go out there and kind of have an open competition again for that right guard spot. Um, but like you said, I think he does have an uphill battle, um, you know, based on how that unit played. And I think, you know, when, when you start talking about offensive line play, um, it's great to talk about individual performances, but I think you have to look at it as a unit. Um, you know, he's been out of the mix basically for all of fall camp. Um, you know, it's kind of like the same situation that, you know, Tony Brown's going to be looking at when he comes back in a couple of weeks for Kentucky. Um, you know, he, he's been, you know, getting reps. He's been, you know, a big part of the, the, the team in practice. But, you know, some of these younger guys, you know, Diggs, Shaheen Carter, you know, they've all stepped up to the plate and shown that they're capable of playing a true for, as a true freshman. So, you know, even Tony Brown, um, you know, unless Anthony Averett or, or Ronnie Harrison, you know, takes a step back, even a guy's you know, uh, ridiculously talented as Tony Brown is, has an uphill battle as far as getting playing time. And so, you know, I think, you know, the right guard spot and, you know, maybe the the other safety um, in certain situations, the dime back, maybe even if, if Averitt, you know, has a bad couple of games, you know, maybe you see Tony factor in as that corner opposite of Marlin. But I think both of those guys, even though they're veterans, um, have an uphill battle of, of getting a starting spot on the squad. Well, I would. I think Tony Brown, if he has his mind right with his talent, I think he could uh, replace Hootie Jones as the dime back. I could see that happening uh, because if he can, because Hootie sometimes has a trouble with his uh, with tackling. Uh, now, if he continues to improve, you may be right. 
I could see Tony Brown being the dime back in this group, but if Averett can continue to straighten himself out, I agree. He's going to be in the top five. Uh, Tony Brown w- would have a chance to get a role, but it's not going to be easy. Uh, but I'm just I, – I think it's going to be interesting to see how all that plays out. And then, uh, you know, I, I wanted to say uh, say something else, too, that's very interesting with uh, Lane Kiffin. It was announced today that the, he's going to have an amendment to his contract. Uh, you know, I've told a couple of people – They've asked, uh, well, does this mean he's going to stay? No, I just think he's going to be rewarded. He's still going to, you know, have his name out there for jobs at the end of the season. It would not be surprised if he moves on. But it looks like Lane, now that USC has paid their pittance to him, is going to get rewarded by the university. Yeah, you know, Lane got his last check from USC in December. Um, mm-hmm. And that's one of the reasons why his, you know, his pay was – you know, kind of padded down from Alabama. They didn't have to pay him because he was getting, uh, you know, three-something million dollars a year from Southern Cal. Um, but, again, you know, if anybody on that coaching deserves a raise, it's, it's Lane Kiffin based on what he's done the last two years. Um, I, I, you know, I, my hand is raised. Um, you know, in December of, I guess, 2000 and – well, January of 2014 – um, you know, I didn't want him to be hired. I, 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 I was somebody that felt like, you know, this guy's – if there is a, a chink in the Nick Saban armor, um, he's invited the, uh, the, the Trojan horse into, so to speak, to, to, you know, the thing being wrecked and how wrong I was. Um, and, and I've gone from being his biggest detractor to his biggest fan. Um, you know, well, for, for any Alabama fan – that, that questions just how valuable this guy is. And there's tons of stories that I could tell um, that I'm not going to um, about how popular he is with the players, uh, with, with Alabama. Go watch the video after the game was over with Saturday night. And, you know, you see players, you see on-the-field coaches, you see support staff, you see trainers, probably boosters. Uh, come up, shake Lane's hand, you know, hug him, congratulations. You know, he gets through with the mask group, turns and starts walking towards the locker room and stumbles across a Dory Jackson, you know, a guy that he recruited, uh, you know, being Mm -hmm. interviewed. And, you know, they they go into this, you know, yo-yo choreographed, you know, handshake hug routine. Uh, You know, Lane gets through with the Dory Jacks and turns around, runs his hand through his hair, and throws his visor up into the stands. Um, (laughs) And I think, you know, if if, if Sarkeesian will keep his end of the bargain, um, I think he's got an opportunity to do the same thing. But you you mark this down, um, what is today, September the 8th, 2016? Yes, sir. Um, You are seeing... Lane Kiffin via Nick Saban rehabilitating his career. And I'm going to tell you something. Lane Kiffin is the brightest bulb shining right now in college football. If he does get a job, you know, at the end of this year, next year, he is the brightest young future head football coach that I see out there on the landscape. I hope Alabama can hang on to him as long as they can. But this is a guy that lives and breathes football, um, you know, coaching quarterbacks. And, you know, the the thing that I'm so curious about, Drew, 
is, you know, when, when Lane Kiffin and Sarkeesian were working under Pete Carroll, you know, in 04, 05, 06, when they had, you know, uh, Reggie Bush, Matt Leiner, you know, Sanchez, the, the list goes on and on and on. You know, I haven't been able to get a straight answer as to which one of those two guys, you know, talking about Sarkeesian or Kiffin, was responsible for that offensive magic. So the way I look at it is, you know, Nick Saban has brought in, you know, the other half of the equation. Um, and, you know, there's some limitations as to what Sarkeesian can and can't do um, as an offensive analyst. But at the bare minimum, he's an extra set of eyes for Lane Kiffin up there in the press box. And they're on the same page. They've worked together, you know, for numerous years, not to mention uh, the fact that, that Sarkeesian and Tosh Lapoy worked together at Washington. And let's, let's talk about this for a second. Uh, last year in 2015, the Washington Huskies had three first-round draft picks, which for a program like Washington, that's unheard of. And those were all oh, yeah. guys that Steve Sarkeesian and Tosh Lapoy evaluated, recruited, and developed. Um, so, you know, I, I, I just think it's just a, another, you know, feather in the cap for Nick Saban. And, you know, and again, I, I've, I've kind of heard some, you know, some whispers, you know, in coaching circles that Les Miles had actually reached out to Steve Sarkeesian and was maybe thinking about firing Cam Cameron uh, after game one and bringing him in as the offensive coordinator and Lane Kiffin and Nick Saban strike first. So I think this is a huge hire. Um, mm-hmm. When you look at what he can do, which is, you know, grade film, he can coach the players, you know, in, in the complex. Um, and, you know, if you're a guy like Jalen Hurts or Blake Barnett, um, that's a true freshman or a redshirt freshman, uh, you know, you've got two guys that have, you know, Heisman Trophy winners, national championship rings, uh, you know, QB developers. What a great place for both Jalen Hurts and Blake Barnett to be in. It really is. And uh, I know you and I respect Aaron Suttles a lot. Uh, I think he's a great writer. I think he's well-connected. Uh, I really respect him. He's a frequent guest on my uh, Talking Ball show. He uh, has said that he didn't think this is necessarily a audition for Sarkeesian to replace Lane Kiffin. But we've seen how uh, Nick Saban operates, William. He's done this before. Uh, he brought Tosh Lapoy in as an intern and let him watch for a year and then put him on the staff. I know we've talked about Rick Neuheisel being a candidate as well, but I have to believe if he spends the rest of this year, Sarkeesian, and really he spent the first week as well. He was at practice last week. If he learns uh, – you know the 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 the, pro, the ins and outs of Alabama's program this year, and uh, and start building relationships with our players. You know, helping uh, in on campus recruiting. I gotta believe if Lane Kiffin gets a job, now he could take Sarkeesian with him, but I gotta believe Sark would have an outstanding chance to move up and be the OC. Well, you know, Drew, I think what you have to look at is you know hit the rewind button, and you know there's been an article printed about this. You know, going all the way back to. Uh, you know, Nick Saban getting the job in 2007. Um, the, the reason that Al, the, Nick Saban was forced to hire Major Applewhite was because the guy that's the head coach of the team they're playing on Saturday, Jeff Brom, turned him down. Um, you know, after, you know, 
Nick Saban fired Major Applewhite after 07, which was a disaster. Uh, guess who his first call was? It was to Steve Sarkeesian. Um, you know, he didn't take it. Uh, there were some floaters out there to Lane Kiffin, which, of course, you know, he had, you know, left and gone and was the head coach of the Oakland Raiders. So you can see the, the cycle here. Um, you know, he went after a Bobby Petrino protege and Jeff Brom. Then he went after the, you know, the Norm Chow guys and, and Lane Kiffin and Steve Sarkeesian. And then, you know, when that didn't work out, then he went back out there to his buddy Pat Hill at Fresno State and, you know, got Jim McElwain. Well, guess who took over for Jim McElwain as the OC under Pat Hill at Fresno State? Doug Nussmeyer. That was the next one. So it's an incestuous business. It's all about relationships and people that you feel comfortable with. But there's a reason that Steve Sarkeesian and Lane Kiffin are on this coaching staff right now. And to me, there's a reason why a true freshman quarterback named Jalen Hurts is in the forefront of what's going on right now. And I think you've heard, you know, I think if people will pay attention to what Nick Saban says in his press conferences, you'll learn a lot more than you really think you will. And what's going on right now is this. And I've heard him say this over and over again without really saying it. You know what? You know, me and Kirby spent the last four years trying to figure out this dual threat, uh, no huddle quarterback crap. And we really didn't do a good job of figuring it out. So guess what? We're going to unleash the same kind of player on, on, on the other teams and put the onus on the other defensive coordinator, um, you know, besides us. And that's, that's, that's how you recognize greatness is when the guy that is considered the greatest of all time in, in this generation can't figure something out. And he says, you know what, if I can't figure it out, I'm going to go find somebody that I can throw out there on, on the other guy. Um, he, he's got somebody in Jeremy Pruitt that's proven that he can stop this stuff on the other side of the ball. And I think Alabama fans really think that they've seen the best of what Nick Saban is capable of doing up to this point. And you know, they say, well, you know, he's going to coast, you know, the rest of the years out there. Well, that's not the case at all. They never expected to win a national championship last year. They viewed it as a rebuilding year. What they expected was, based on what they had on campus and what they had coming in the last recruiting class, which in my opinion has proved to be better than what they really thought and what they've got coming in this 17 class, I was told by a coach on the staff, if we, and this is before they thought they, you know, we're going to compete and win for the, the national championship last year. I was told by a coach on the staff with what we've got on the camp, on campus now and what's coming next year in the recruiting class, if we don't win two more national championships between 16 and 19, we should all be fired. That is uh, just that, – that, that's great stuff. I mean, you, you can't get any better than that. And they – and then the recruiting continues to roll on. And I think another part with a, and I got to give Chris Kirchner, who's been a guest on uh, my regular radio program, Talking Ball, and on this podcast, BAMS Radio, a lot of credit. He wrote an article after Sarkeesian was announced officially, talking about how 
he is going to play a part in probably helping keep Najee Harris in the fold because, of course, Najee and his uh, camp are very close to Toxley Poy William, and we've talked about that. But Sarkeesian also uh, has, is uh, close with uh, Najee and his people and uh, was recruiting him heavily for Southern Cal. Well, and, and not just Najee, um, but, but, you know, uh, uh, the, the quarterback from Hawaii as well. And uh, yes, I, I uh, think to Lola, yes. Yep, yep. When you start talking about, you know, what, what Alabama is doing right now, you know, as far as recruiting coast to coast, you know, you've got a guy in Lane Kiffin, you know, who, who's, you know, cut his teeth out there on the West Coast. You've got Tosh Lapoy, you know, played ball at Cal, um, you know, worked at, at Washington with Sarkeesian. They've got Sarkeesian that was at, at Southern Cal and at Washington. That's a lot of high school connections. Um, a lot of relationships that have been built out there. You know, you know, I think a month or two ago, um, you know, a lot of people were blowing me up about, you know, being worried about Najee Harris, you know, going to Michigan. Um, look, if, if that young man is going to go 1,500 miles away from school, he's not going to go to Michigan. He committed in April of 2015. He, he sat back and watched Derrick Henry win the Heisman Trophy, getting the ball fed to him 30 to 40 times a game, and then he watched Alabama win a Heisman – I mean, a, a national championship. Um, you know, forget about – especially after what you saw, you know, Saturday. Um, you saw USC get embarrassed. You saw Texas A&M uh, beat UCLA. Um, you, you've got Burton Burns, who has proven – but he is the best running back coach and developer of running backs in college football. Um, forget about worrying about Najee Harris going somewhere else. Um, the, the thing that I look at, and you know, look at it from Najee Harris's perspective, um, you've got four starters on this offensive line that are going to be back next year. Jonah Williams is going to go to left tackle. Um, I will be shocked upon shocks if Alex Leatherwood is not the starting right tackle next year. And you're still going to have Lester, Top, Lester Cotton at left guard, either Bozeman or Pierce Bacher at center, and, you know, one of those two at right guard if, if one of them's not at center. So it's a very inviting and comfortable situation. And like we touched on, Drew, um, you know, 25, 30 minutes ago, uh, Sit back and watch. Don't don't complain. Um, there's going to be other teams that try and do what USC did to you know screw up the blocking schemes and the continuity of the offensive line. Um, I think Western uh, Kentucky's probably going to be the last of it. Um, but just sit back and watch from Old Miss, Kent State, Kentucky till the first of October and then get back to me with what this offensive line's doing come the 1st of October. It's going to be a monster. Well, and uh, and then defensively, William, you've already kind of talked about what Jeremy Pruitt's doing. We can already see that he seems to be simplifying things. As you said, not a lot of checking at the line, not a lot of changing things at the last second. Just letting these guys go ahead, play, and pursue. Uh, was really impressed uh, with them defensively and uh, really anxious to see what uh, they continue to do, and especially some of the young guys in the secondary, the young linebackers. Nick Saban at his radio show tonight, very complimentary of Anthony Jennings, who I know you're very high on. 
Yeah, and like I said, you know, we were talking about it when we first came on. I mean, you know, he never got burned. He never got toasted. Um, you know, those two plays that he gave up, um, he was right there in a position to make the play. Just, you know, kind of a, you know, a technique issue that I think, you know, between uh, Derek Ainsley, Nick Saban, and Jeremy Pruitt, they'll, they'll get that figured out. You know, it's just the first game. Um, you know, they've got two very, very active safeties back there um, with Ronnie Harrison and, and uh, Eddie Jackson. And, you know, I know, you know, that incident on the sideline, you know, that Ronnie Harrison was involved with, you know, got a lot of play. But let me tell you something. In an organization, in, a, in, a, in the team concept, you know, what he was excited about and, 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 you know, what he got back down off of, you will never see a coach complain about that. And then the best thing that I saw in that interchange, even way before, you know, Nick got over there and started saying, come, you know, your ass down, was Reuben Foster grabbing him by his breastplates, getting his back down onto the bench and saying, guess what? This is my team, and you're going to do what I tell you to do, and it's time for you to calm down. Um that's what you look for in a championship team. Um, you know, when you look at, at, at the players on that defensive line, um, there's three guaranteed first-round draft picks. Uh, Reuben Foster's another one. Uh, you know, Ryan Anderson is probably not going to go in the first round because of his measurables. But he's a guy, if his health will stay behind him, you know, late second, early third, he'll play as long as his body allows him to. Uh, but that, that defense is so talented. And, you know, I, I sit back and I watch it. I'm like, you know, where where is the the, the weakness? And there isn't one. Um, you know, you, you watch Marlon, you watch Eddie, you watch Ronnie. Um, you know, that, that one corner spot, which he is a newcomer, and this is a guy that, you know, they brought down from New Jersey. He was a Wildcat quarterback in high school. Um, you know, they, they fluctuated just like they have with Deontay Thompson. You know, they flirted with him on both sides of the ball for a couple of years. He's just now starting to get comfortable, you know, being a cover corner. And I, I personally think I'll be shocked come October 1st if Anthony Averett is not one of the most improved players in college football. And great point on Averett, uh, going back to him. And then, as we said, uh, Coach Saban tonight with uh, complimenting Anthony Jennings as well. Uh, Jennings uh, didn't get to play a lot, William, but I thought he flashed. And uh, I think as the year goes on, he's another one that will be able to provide depth behind Ryan Anderson. Yes, I think so for this year. But, you know, Drew, the way I look at things, you know, it's a chess match. And I look at Mm – even during the USC game, you know, when I saw exactly what you're talking about, and the first thing that jumped out of my mind was, you know, here's a guy, you know, 6'3", 260-ish. Um, mm-hmm. I think what needs to happen for next year when you look at the depth situation, um, you know, in a base defense look, I think Deshaun Han will be the defensive end. Deron Payne will be the nose guard. I think they need to move Jennings – after the bowl game this year, the defensive end um, in the base. And then you've got mm-hmm. Terrell Hall. Terrell Hall can be the Jack. Christian Miller can be the Sam. You know, kind of take over that, you know, space guy that Tim Williams is playing now. 
And, you know, if Raekwon Davis continues to develop, if Joshua Frazier continues to develop, you know, all of a sudden that front seven doesn't look as susceptible next year as people think it is. And then talk about Raekwon Davis. He has gained his eligibility. Uh, he will be on the field this season. Uh, as Coach Saban said tonight, there's just too many talented freshmen to redshirt all of them now. Uh, do, do you see Raekwon uh, being a factor this year? And if so, what role? You know, I think right now, based on, you know, you know, without being ugly, let me say this. You know, I lived through the Proposition 48 era. Uh, right. You know, where guys that, that didn't qualify. Now, the difference is. Um, Eric Prop Curry was one of them. Huh? Yes. Eric, yes, Eric Curry was one of them. Yes. Yep. And, and one of my best friends, Roosevelt Patterson, was too. And the difference was. Those guys were not allowed to work out with the team. Um, they had to work out individually. They weren't allowed to practice with the team. So it was different than what Raekwon Davis has come to school with. He's been able to practice with the team from day one. Um, you know, now that he's gotten cleared to actually play under this new academic redshirt rule from, from the NCAA, um, he's going to be able to play. I think what you have to look at is uh, because he is challenged um, from an intellectual standpoint, um, you know, once school started, um, it's really easy for these guys. And I think Diggs kind of fell into this equation as well. You know, he flashed and did very well back when it was just, you know, Alabama versus Alabama. Once they started putting that USC game plan into place, and then, you know, he had to balance school and study hall on top of it. You know, he kind of shrunk a little bit. Not to say that he's not going to be a big part of this team. You know, you saw him back there on kickoff returns against USC. But, you know, that, that position that he had on the defense back there with the safeties, you know, it kind of shrunk a little bit. And I think you can expect the same thing out of Raekwon Davis. Um, he's, he, you know, he's going to be on field goal block. He's probably going to be in there in short yardage and goal line situations because he is such a, a big and imposing factor. But the, the victory that was gained by getting him into school where he could actually practice every day with the team and be developed by Carl Dunbar and Jeremy Pruitt, that's already happened. Anything else that happens beyond this point is a bonus. But temper your expectations a little bit. Um, because, you know, he's got challenges in his day-to-day life that we all don't really know about, and let's just let that play out. Yeah, absolutely, and and then now, finally, to close it out, uh, this is, as you said, I, and I completely agree, it's a great prep uh, for uh, Ole Miss with what Western Kentucky does on offense. Coach Saban uh, bringing up David and Goliath tonight, talking about that David, you know, what he did to Goliath, and uh, that's what, uh, you know, Western Kentucky is going to try to come in in Tuscaloosa and do. What is your thoughts on the game Saturday and what you expect to see? Well, you know, the first thing that jumps off the page is their quarterback. I mean, he, he is a prolific passer. Um, he, he's got wide receivers that can catch the football. So I think, you know, the challenge really is on the defensive side of the football for Alabama. You know, we'll see if, you know, that front seven can continue to get pressure. Um, you know, we'll see if they decide to pick on Anthony Averett again. I doubt they decide to pick on Marlon Humphrey. But I really think the uh, 
you know, the thing to watch for is Alabama on the offensive side of the football. I think there is a real real opportunity for Jalen Hurts and Blake Barnett to, you know, make explosive plays, you know, whether it's Jalen Hurts running the zone read or, you know, Blake Barnett dropping back and hitting wide receivers, you know, uh, down the field. It's a great test based on what they're going to see the following week in Oxford from Ole Miss. Yeah, it really is. It's really it really uh, fits perfectly uh, in what uh, what they're trying to prepare for. And and I guess the final thing, William, what was your thoughts on uh, what we saw from Florida State uh, in coming back and destroying Ole Miss? Well, you know, the first thing that I noticed was you know Ole Miss has some very very good big people on the interior of their defensive line. You know, a guy that Alabama was heavily involved with, D.J. Jones, who didn't do a lot last year for them, um, I think flashed very heavily for them early on against Florida State. Uh, I mean, I think Florida State's offensive line is not comparable to what Alabama's putting on the field this year. Um, but, but you know, you saw, um, you know, once, you know, they got it dialed in, um, you know, with the redshirt freshman quarterback, Francois, um, who I think mm-hmm. is pretty comparable to, to Jalen Hurts as far as a mobile quarterback can get outside of the pocket and, and make throws on the run or can tuck the ball and, you know, make negative plays into positive plays. Um, but to me, I think what it boils down to is if you want to fast forward to Alabama versus Old Miss, um, that 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 O line versus their front seven battle, um, you know they've lost their their best you know defensive back for the year in Corey Webster, um, so they're behind the eight ball with that, and they just don't have a lot of depth. And you saw that play out, um, you know, after the second half kickoff versus Florida State, um, it was kind of a battle of attrition, and Florida State was able to outlast them. Yeah, they really were, and. Uh... And they lost Eric Sweeney for the year too, who many thought were going to be their best back. They they're one dimensional. They weren't able to run the football. They've got Wofford this weekend. It's going to be interesting to see that how they tweak things if they get Devon Pennymon on the field, and then uh, whether how both teams evolve going into what's still going to be a big matchup uh, for uh, Alabama going to Oxford after losing two straight to Ole Miss. Well, William, it's been an outstanding hour in conversation. Great observations as always. We thank you for uh, joining BAMS Radio as you do every week. Really appreciate it, and thank you for your time. And have a great night, man. We'll talk to you next week. Thanks, Drew. Talk to you soon. Yeah, that's William Redfish Barger. And uh, great insights you only hear on BAMS Radio here for an extended period of time. A whole hour just talking Alabama football and uh, the future of this program. Uh, Great stuff, Thomas Watts. Uh, Just have to sit back and just listen, man. Yeah, you mentioned in the back chat, if you've got a question, feel free. And I was like, nope, no, I'm, I'm, I'm content to listen. <laughs> yeah, it was uh, some spectacular stuff by Fish. We appreciate him for coming on for this first hour. Mark Burnett has been monitoring uh, the Nick Saban uh, radio show tonight. We were going to speak to him here in about seven minutes. Uh, we're going to bring him in for about ten minutes for everybody to give his observations from Southern Cal and kind of what uh, he expects to see on Saturday and uh, with the mood of Coach Saban as he uh, was trying to get everybody's minds right, uh, and the, the fans and the team going in uh, to this home opener uh, at Bryant-Denny Stadium uh, against Western Kentucky. But we're going to take our 
five, six-minute break here. When we come back for the second hour of BAMS Radio, you're going to hear from the SEC country's Mark Burnett, a great friend of this show, and he will be with Thomas Watts and I in just a few minutes.
Welcome back to hour number two of BAMS Radio. You know, we're going to have Mark Burnett joining us real soon. I think Drew hasn't come back from his break yet. So you get me, Thomas Watts, telling you a couple things. Uh, after Mark, we're going to have a little bit of audio, but there will also be time for callers. So if you want to, you know, give us your impressions of the USC game or talk to Drew and I and ask us some questions, give us a call at 714-510-3707. We would really appreciate it. But also, I mentioned this first hour. I'm going to bring it up again this hour. Tailgating, obviously a big deal if you're an Alabama fan. If you want to meet me, I'll be there. But uh, if you are on, if you're going to the game, give us a shout at Moore Hall. It's going to be five dollars or a food item, you know, brownies, you know, bag of chips, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. That's what we're after. But uh, and if you missed the first hour, you missed some fantastic content from William Redfish Barger breaking down, quite frankly, everything Alabama. I, I, I know that kind of sounds superfluous, but just bear with me. That's pretty much what it was. But after we have Mark Burnett joining us in a couple of minutes, we're going to have audio that Drew had from Brad Stevens. He covers the... Western Kentucky Hilltoppers, the fighting red blob things for the one of the one of the Bowling Green papers. I actually had a chance to listen to this audio beforehand. You know, I'm actually doing my job as a producer, and it's just it's a breakdown of from the Western Kentucky's perspective of how they want to attack Alabama. So certainly a a very needed slash desired perspective. I'll be honest, I've been so busy with my PhD that I haven't had a chance to review film of this team. Obviously, you know, you the stat that's been quoted ad nauseum is the five hundred twelve yards passing that the starting quarterback had, which is certainly impressive, but quite frankly, Rice is not Alabama. So no. I would I would I would pump the brakes on all the uh, the wailing and gnashing of teeth about that. But, Drew, just, you know, glad you're back. We were uh, I was just giving a quick spiel about what oh, we yeah. get into. So Yeah, and it's uh, Brad Stevens of the Bowling Green Daily News. Thank you. Uh, he's a Western Kentucky grad. Uh, he's been around that program a long time. Very knowledgeable. You'll enjoy the interview. He was very candid in what he thought. And, uh, and again, they, but I will say they did have 649 yards of total offense against Rice. And the most eye-popping uh, stat, it's 15.3 yards per play. But, again, uh, they, and they got a lot of grief nationally for stumbling out of the tunnel, but that's the only stumbling they did. Uh, but it's still a good matchup for Alabama. I still think Alabama should be able to move the ball up and down the field on them uh, offensively. And Alabama defensively is going to be much better than anything they've seen all year and will see. Uh, I expect Alabama, you know, they may give up some plays because they have some talented receivers, but I think it's going to be very tough on Western Kentucky to score in the red zone if they if they can limit the big plays because they're going to try to stretch the field vertically and maybe even try, try a few trick plays. Jeff Brome brought that up on the Paul Feinbaum show earlier this week. Uh, but I think Alabama, if they're disciplined, they'll be fine. No doubt about it. But we're now – uh, working Mark Burnett uh, from uh, the SEC country. Uh, he's been monitoring Nick Saban's radio show tonight, doing an outstanding job on Twitter. Uh, we, uh, we've uh, talked with Mark before on this show. He does a great job. He's going to give us a few quick minutes and 
kind of a rundown on what Nick Saban had to say tonight and kind of his mood. You can kind of tell uh, how things are going. I know yesterday at his press conference, I thought he said that the players had practiced better uh, as the week had gone on. Uh, so we know that he's been trying to keep their attention uh, after all the uh, national uh, headlines and recognition they've been getting for destroying Southern California. But you know you have to move on to the next game. And then not overlook this opponent for Ole Miss. That, you know, Ole Miss has won the last two years. They're uh, someone that has a lot of talent that Alabama respects quite a bit. It'll be a, t- a tough, their first true road test. Uh, but right now Alabama needs to take care of business at home against Western Kentucky and hopefully, you know, play a lot of guys. And they have to sort out the quarterback situation. You have to decide uh, who you're going to start uh, at QB. And uh, this this week looks like it's going to be Jalen Hurts. But uh, if he plays well, does he get the start? Of course, it would sound like you think he would against Ole Miss. But are they going to play two quarterbacks against the Rebels? Or are they going to go with uh, mostly one? Most people believe that they would try to have their QB situation decided uh, by the time uh, they got to Ole Miss to play one guy because Nick Saban's really been a one-quarterback coach. Uh, but we'll see where that goes. But now we are going to go back to the Sun Belt 10 hotline for about 10 quick minutes or so with Mark Burnett from SEC Country. Mark, uh, good evening uh, from Tuscaloosa, Alabama. How are you? Hey, I'm doing great, Drew. Thanks for having me. Yeah, Mark, no problem, brother. And I know you were monitoring uh, the Nick Saban coaches show tonight. Uh, for our listeners who may not have been following you on Twitter, kind of gauge Coach Saban's mood with the crowd. Yeah, I thought he was, you know, sort of calm to start out, but then he got a little bit intense there as the show kind of went on because, you know, I think he, he didn't really get to blow up in one of his press conferences this week, so he wanted to sort of <laughs> send a message to the fans about, about uh, you know, sort of being there, being loud, and, and sort of creating that atmosphere that uh, that, that he wants to have in Bryant Denny Stadium. Yeah, exactly, and and uh, were there any quarterback questions? Yeah, he actually got one, you know, about evaluating, you know, how the two guys did. And he basically gave the same answer that he gave uh, to to reporters on Monday, that he thought both quarterbacks, you know, struggled early on. He said Blake Barnett, you know, looked a little rattled early on, looked nervous, which is to be expected, you know, first time out there. And uh, he said the same thing about Jalen Hurts, but he said he, he liked how both quarterbacks sort of settled in as the game went on. So, you know, about about standard, you know, in terms of what he said uh, about the quarterbacks. He said he he does think that both of those guys need to continue to play to develop. And he also said, you know, they can't completely rule out Cooper Bateman because he might have to win a game for him one day. So I, I thought that was kind of interesting simply because we haven't heard a ton about Bateman. He's sort of been a forgotten guy uh, in this three-man race. But, you know, Saban said, hey, don't forget about him. Yeah, exactly. You, know, you never know what's going to happen. And then I guess, uh, first of all, just your thoughts – on what you saw in Dallas, Mark. I mean, it was a slow start for the first uh, quarter and, and a half, really, offensively, before Jalen Hurts uh, had the lightning strike and then everything got rolling. But uh, just how did you think uh, they performed offensively? Yeah, I mean, I, I would agree with that. You know, obviously, that first quarter or so, it was, a, it was a real struggle. I thought, you know, the entire team looked nervous. You know, the offensive line was missing some assignments. You know, the quarterbacks weren't really hitting the, the receivers and different things like that. So, I thought the entire team sort of looked nervous and not really – And you know, you see some of those jitters that come with playing a big game on such a big stage. So, uh, but once they settled in, everything got rolling. You obviously saw Jalen Hurts make some big plays there. Uh, to sort of spark that 38-0 run to really put that game away. And then Blake Barnett came in later and made some throws to 
just add a little bit of insult to injuries if you're if you're a USC fan. But you know, I thought Damian Harris did some good things. Yeah, I know a lot of people were shocked to see him as a number one running back over Bo Scarborough, but Damian showed why. You know, he came in, showed off some quick feet, made some explosive runs, and I think he could be a a big time player in this offense. Yeah, he really could. And uh, if, if people have been paying attention, uh, they, the hints had been strong uh, that, uh, that Damian Harris had beaten out Bo Scarborough. Bo needed to be better all around. Uh, he, he didn't finish the spring strong. And then in fall camp, they thought uh, Damian was more consistent. And as you said, he went out and he performed 138 yards. And then I thought the two young freshmen did a lot of good things. And Joshua Jacobs continues to impress. Yeah, I mean, I, I really think Jacobs is going to be the running back of uh, the future here for this program. So I, I think he's a guy, you know, who's got really quick feet. He's an explosive guy. It's just, it's just going to be a matter of sort of getting those little things down, like learning how to block, you know, learning where to be on, on different uh, situations and not giving up on the play and just sort of letting things develop. And a lot of times you see guys coming out of high school, they're so, they're so much better in a competition that, you know, they tend to think they, could, they can make every play. But, you know, once he fig- figures it out, man, I think he could be a really great running back for Alabama. And then uh, your thoughts on, uh, you know, where, where this team defensively, I thought they played exceptional football. Uh, as I'm watching uh, Darian Stewart, former Huntsville High, uh, or excuse me, uh, Lee High School in Huntsville, Alabama, make a play at safety for the Denver Broncos as they continue uh, to trail the Carolina Panthers right now six to nothing uh, on the, in the NFL's first game of the year. But just your thoughts on this defense. I thought for a first game, uh, they, besides the big plays, one when the game was well decided on the run to Ronald Jones, but the early throw, besides that, I thought they were spectacular. What was your thoughts? Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, this defense is, is everything we thought they'd be, uh, you know, so fast, physical, uh, you know, all over the place. I thought the biggest thing was that, you know, they, they didn't lose that physicality. I know a lot of a lot of all, the all season we talked about the speed, how, how fast they would be, how quick they would be. But they never lost any any bit of their physicality. I mean, some of those hits on some of these guys were, you know, Reuben Foster would get a guy. I was just like, man, how is this running back going to get up? You know, I mean, they were putting some bone jarring hits on some of these guys, and uh, it was it was exciting to see if you're an Alabama fan because that you know, just lets you know that hey, this offense does struggle early on. We have the personnel on defense to to sort of you know contain with anybody and keep us in any game. Yeah, they really did. And then uh, and, and now uh, the Alabama. As you said, Nick Saban, they're bringing up David and Goliath. I saw your t- your tweet quoting Nick Saban uh, at the uh, at his radio show tonight. Your thoughts on this matchup with Western Kentucky? They're a dangerous offense. I, I think you know they leave uh, something to be desired defensively. But just uh, what do you expect out of Alabama on Saturday? Yeah, you, you mentioned Western Kentucky's offense. I think this is a good test for Alabama early on to get them sort of ready for the spread SEC teams that they're going to face. Obviously not the same level of talent, but just schematically, I think this is going to be a good test for Alabama and, Kirk and uh, Jeremy Pruitt, the defensive coordinator, just to see where the guys are in terms of ready, being able to play, you know, fastball teams. USC was more of a, you know, maybe a three-receiver set, you know, running up, running up the middle. But this team is going to really spread you out and try to, you know, tack you on the perimeter. So, it'll be good to get a look at Alabama's uh, dime defense, get to see Hootie Jones there at safety some, and have Ronnie Harrison slide it on the money. So, I'm, I'm interested to see how this dime defense responds. Well, and i got to tell you, uh, I was really impressed, and I know you followed his career closely since he got to Alabama. 
uh, how what you know the uh, just the improvement that Marlon Humphreys made. Uh, well, what he did against Juju Smith-Schuster, who uh, I felt I still think Juju was still having that affect him in practice this week. We heard about uh, his blow up with some teammates. Uh, wow, I mean, uh, what did you think of uh, the way Marlon performed Saturday? Oh man, you know, I, I before this game, I was doing some you know, just some random research, just kind of looking at where some of Alabama's guys were projected to go uh, in the NFL draft, you know, next year. And I pull up CBS mm-hmm. Sports page, and I see their, you know, the number eight overall prospect is cornerback from Alabama, Marlon Humphrey. And I'm thinking, wow, you know, that seems kind of high. That seems a, a little bit, you know, ridiculous to think about at this point. But then you think about it more, and you say, okay, well, this guy, you know, as physical as any cornerback in the country. He's got track speed. He's got great size, great length. He played well last year, kind of got overshadowed to a degree because the the front seven was so good. And obviously you had guys like Cyrus Jones out there as well. Uh, But, I mean, and then he comes out and has that type of performance against Juju Smith-Schuster, who's projected to be one of the top receivers taken in next year's draft. And it it just kind of confirms what most people already know, that Marlon's one of the best cornerbacks in the country. I think, you know, barring something unforeseen, I think he's gone after this year, so – Alabama fans should enjoy him this season because this will this will probably be the last one that you get from him. And you, know, you just kind of tip your hat to a guy and say, hey, you know, job well done. He would have started two seasons here. Obviously, had the redshirt season, but I mean, he, he's a spectacular player, and it's been fun to watch his development as to go from that redshirt season not playing, then to last year starting every game to this year sort of being the number one cornerback for a potential uh, back-to-back national championship team. And then. Uh, we appreciate your time tonight from the SEC country. What, what after what you've seen? Do you expect Jalen Hurts? Do you, you think uh, he's going to win this job and uh, and be the guy against Ole Miss the next week? Big time SEC uh, opener. Yeah, I do. I think you know it's, it's probably going to be Jalen Hurts. Uh, you know, unless he struggles in this game, I think. You know, if you look at this, look at this offense, you, you think long-term, I think Jalen Hurts gives you more explosiveness, more big, big playability, because if you're a defense, you have to respect his, respect his leg. And you look at you – know, that's not taking anything away from Blake Barnett, who I think is a really good passer. But at the same time, he doesn't offer you that same threat on the ground with his leg. So I think you, if you're looking at Jalen Hurts, if he can develop and continue to expand his package uh, in terms of, you know, what type of plays he can run through this offense – like Nick Saban talked about, I think he's going to be the guy going forward. I mean, he's the future at the position. It's uh, easy to tell that. He's a guy, he comes out, fumbles his first play from scrimmage, doesn't get rattled. I mean, he showed no signs of being shaken at all. I mean, you talk about a true freshman and inside Jerry World, you know, on a national stage, everybody's watching, everybody's looking to see what you're going to do. And this kid just comes out, doesn't get rattled. Yeah, he made a couple of mistakes. He had to fumble. He had an interception, which I thought was a bad throw. But at the same time, look at some of the, th- the, the plays that he did make, showing – great awareness to get rid of the ball, not taking, any, not taking uh, many negative plays, being able to make the explosive plays and, and realize when the uh, defense is making a mistake that you need to take advantage of. So, obviously, some little things to clean up, but I think he's a future at this position for Alabama. And then finally, Mark, uh, uh, what is your prediction for Saturday? Yeah, I mean, a uh, big win for Alabama. I think, you know, three, four touch, touchdowns. I expect us to see – a lot of the young players. You know, I'm, I'm excited to see a couple guys on offense, uh, you know, just looking at some of the guys that we're, that we're going to see on offense and defense. Defensively, you look at a guy like Trayvon Diggs and uh, Lindell Mack-Wilson, 
And then at on mm-hmm. offense, I'm looking forward to seeing more. Looking forward to seeing more of BJ Emmons and uh, Joshua Jacobs. So you know, those are four freshmen that I'm looking forward to seeing uh, whenever we, whenever this game sort of gets out of hand a little bit. Absolutely. Well, Mark, we appreciate it. I'll let everybody know where they can follow you on Twitter and, of course, read your stuff as you do an outstanding job. Yeah, obviously follow me on Twitter at Mark underscore Burnett. That's at M-A-R-Q underscore B-U-R-N-E-T-T. And you can read all my stuff at SECCountry.com. Absolutely. Well, Mark, we appreciate the the quick uh, 10 minutes tonight. Our listeners always love hearing from you. Have a great night, and uh, we look forward to reading your coverage in Tuscaloosa. All right. Thanks, man. You too. Yeah, thank you. That's Mark Burnett is now the Denver Broncos rookie fullback. Just went in on a dive play, Thomas Watts. Uh, the extra point had been good. It was 7 to nothing, Carolina. Now it's about to be 7-7. to Some old-school football, some trickery uh, fooling the Carolina Panthers, and I can't say that I'm not uh, happy about that. Uh, well, Drew, I have to admit, I drafted Cam Newton on my fantasy team, so I'm cheering for the Panthers this evening. But I'm only cheering for the Panthers to score a lot of points. If the Panthers' defense wants to Man. give up 40, I'm okay with that. <laughs> Man, if I could just put some money down on Janovich scoring the first touchdown for the Denver Broncos, how much money would I have won? Wow. Um, the fullback, the rookie fullback. Let's, ju- let's, just, say a, let's just say $3 and, and go from there. Oh, my goodness. But anyway, uh, well, great stuff from Mark Burnett of the SEC country. And now, as you said, we're going to let everybody hear an interview I had earlier this afternoon with Brad Stevens of the Bowling Green Daily News. We wanted to hear. We always love hearing from the other side of the coin against the Crimson Tide. They will be playing the University of Alabama Saturday, 2.30 p.m. Central Time on ESPN2. And this is Brad Stevens uh, and I uh, for uh, live from the 97.7 The Zone Studios. It was live this afternoon. We were able to record him. Uh, we appreciate his time for BAMS Radio. We wanted to bring you this conversation, breaking down the Western Kentucky Hilltoppers. And welcome back to BAMS Radio. I'm your host, Judy Arman, uh, here with Thomas Watts. Uh, of course, we're here from 7 to 9 p.m. every Thursday night uh, covering the Alabama Crimson Tide. And we always like to have a voice from the other team on with us. And for the first time on BAMS Radio, uh, we're honored to welcome tonight Brad Stevens. He's a Western Kentucky uh, graduate, and he's an athletics reporter for the Bowling Green Daily News. And you can follow him on Twitter at Brad, B-G-D-N, all capital letters. Brad, good evening. How are you tonight? Hey, doing great. How you all doing? Uh, doing well, and uh, this is an outstanding opportunity uh, for uh, the uh, Western Kentucky Hilltoppers and Jeff Brom uh, uh, the, uh, he's done a great job continuing the success of the Western Kentucky program. Uh, first started, of course, under his mentor, uh, Bobby Petrino. He's, he ta- he's taken over for him, really, Brad, and it's been a seamless transition thus far. Yeah, it really has. I don't think, you know, you know when you look back at you know, how Willie Taggart started to build the program in 2010 and going forward, and then when he left, you know, they, they brought in Bobby Petrino, but, you know, Bobby Petrino also, one of the most important things he did was to hire Jeff Brom as his offensive coordinator. And it's, like he said, a seamless transition. And uh, Jeff has really taken it to another level, obviously, a 12-2 and record last year, number 24 in the country, and that came only six years after they went 0-12 in their first year as an FBS member. So, obviously, they've, they've come a long way. 
Yeah, they really have, and there's been a huge uh, commitment to facilities at Western Kentucky and to football, and uh, and I, I hate to call Western Kentucky a mid-major football job, but I guess that's what it is, but I'll still say this, it's uh, rising in profile in one of the uh, more coveted uh, jobs below the Power Five right now. Yeah, it really is. Like, I mean, it, it's pretty amazing how they built it up. Like, uh, started with facilities. I think they had a vision for for accomplishing this. I don't know if they saw it, you know, play out exactly the way it would, but uh, you know, definitely started with facilities. And you, you, they, they've really hit the hit the jackpot when it comes to coaches. You know, like I mentioned, Willie Taggart, you know, did a good job kind of getting things off the ground after they were really struggling their first couple of years trying to make the transition. And then, you know, the Bobby Petrino situation, I don't think anyone could have seen that forthcoming, but but that worked out really well to, to sort of bridge the gap to, to Jeff Brom and what they've done since then. So it, it's, uh, yeah, it, it's really taken off in a way I don't think a lot of people really expected it to. Yeah, and with Bobby Petrino, you, you kind of had a feeling when he took the job because of the circumstances uh, that uh, came under him leaving Arkansas that uh, if he could right the ship, he wouldn't be there long. He was only there a year before going back to Louisville, but uh, without him coming, you, uh, there's, a, there's a, a very high likelihood Jeff Brom is not the head coach at Western Kentucky. Well, if you look at the way that they actually did that deal, too, athletic uh, director Todd Stewart, when he hired Bobby Petrino, he said his buyout to be – I think it was $350,000 more than what they were paying Petrino for that first season. So that means that when, when Louisville hired Petrino away after the 2013 season, the way the way the money all worked out, they ended up basically making money off the deal of having Petrino coach there for a year. Mm-hmm. And then a lot of the coaches that he brought on, not just Jeff Braun, but Nick Holt, the defensive coordinator, uh, several of the position coaches uh, were, were also on the staff. So, you know, it, the, the transition went about as well as it could have. And, uh, you know, Jeff kind of kind of got to, you know, got another year to, to really learn under under Coach Petrino and, you know, see the see the roster, see what they had there. And then you know, he finally got to, to take it for a spin and, uh, starting in 2014. Yeah, absolutely. And then uh, the 2015 breakthrough 12-2, and two, the Miami Beach Bowl champs over uh, – uh, a familiar face that you already mentioned earlier, Willie Taggart in <laughs> South Florida. Yeah, absolutely. And that that was a really big win. Obviously, uh, they they had won their first bowl game in 2014. They won mm-hmm. beat Central Michigan the Bahamas Bowl. But uh, I think there was a lot of emotion involved in that game. Obviously, when you're facing the guy that was uh, the, the you know program legend like Willie Taggart, a guy that that, that coached so, you know, a lot of the players that played in that game, he either coached or recruited them. So there's a lot of emotion involved with that. But, of course, I think there's also a lot of respect. I think people here do realize how much Willie Taggart uh, has done for this program as a, as a player, as an assistant, as a coach. Uh, but, it, you know, obviously, it was a good win for the Hilltoppers. And then uh, you mentioned already as a part of the staff, uh, you've got a defensive coordinator like Nick Holt there uh, who stayed on under Jeff Brom. Uh, and he's a national champion. He, he uh, of course, uh, served under Pete Carroll at USC. Uh, and then uh, also at, uh, under at Washington under Steve Sarkeesian. So he's someone that has been around uh, great programs and a lot of talent and is a high-profile assistant for Western Kentucky, uh, probably uh, as good a defensive coordinator as they could bring in. Well, if you look at Nick Holt, he comes from that Pete Carroll, uh, Pete Carroll coaching tree. Mm-hmm. You know, one, one thing they always – you know, if you look at the things that they emphasize under Pete Carroll, you know, turnovers and competition, and that's definitely a big thing with them. You know, it's one of those attitudes where, you know, starting spots, there, there may be guys that are – you know, there, there, there may be a few guys, obviously, they are going to be starting on every Saturday, but they also have competition for, for reps every every week. And, 
you know, then the turnover is just a really big emphasis. I think that's what, you know, that's what they think gives them a chance when they go into games like Alabama, the fact that, you know, maybe, you know, or the, the chance to maybe create a few turnovers to, to cause some chaos. You know, that, that's what they pride themselves on is, is being aggressive. And, and obviously sometimes that can backfire, but, but, you know, last year more times than not, it worked. Absolutely. And then that's, uh, turn the page to this year. I know uh, the headlines nationally for uh, uh, for Western Kentucky were uh, kind of stumbling coming out of the tunnel over there in Bowling Green against Rice, <laughs> but that was the only time they stumbled uh, the whole game. They dominated the Rice Owls 46-14 to uh, and just put up 649 yards total offense. Uh, just looked like a, a great all-around performance in an opener. Well, really, it just looked like just a continuation of what we saw last season. It looked like they didn't Obviously, they put a new quarterback in there with Mike White replacing Brandon Dowdy, but it doesn't look like he missed a step, and it looked like the defense was, was playing up to the way they played in the 2015. So, yeah, they really couldn't have couldn't have scripted a better opener for Western Kentucky. And tell our listeners about Mike White, over 500 yards passing in his first start. Uh, what's, the, what's the background on this transfer? Yeah, so he actually played his first two years at South Florida under Roy Tiger. We've talked about it a few times already, but uh, he played the 2013-14 seasons there and was uh, was he was a little bit shaky. I think he finished his time there with 11 career touchdowns, 16 career interceptions. Uh, you know, they, they had a lot of offensive struggles during his time there. They couldn't really get the, you know, get get what they were trying to do going. So he actually left after the 2014 season. Was looking for a new home, and uh, he had some connections through his. Uh, private quarterback coach to uh, Brandon Dowdy who was Western Kentucky's quarterback who you know obviously told him you know what they were doing at you know here in Bowling Green and you know he came on campus for a visit ended up going ahead and, and committing here and he basically sat out last season you know obviously under transfer rules but but he learned the offense from Dowdy and you know, he led the scout team did things like that and sort of waited his chance and then uh, he actually had to earn the quarterback job over spring practice and over fall camp but he ended up doing that and uh had a great debut as the starter. Yeah, and then uh, they had uh, two receivers put up monster numbers against Rice as well. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Nicholas Norris and Taewon Taylor. Uh, Norris is a guy who uh, comes from Miami. He's just just a burner. He, he's he's really fast and and shifty too. Make, makes a, makes a lot of guys miss. Um, you know, the, there was one touchdown. Yeah, I went back and watched the tape afterwards and. Yeah, it was an 87-yard touchdown pass from from White to Norris down the right sideline. I think he had five yards of separation hmm. on uh, on his defensive back whenever he caught the ball. So he's he's just a you know, he's he's a big play guy. And then Taewon Taylor is a guy who Nick Saban yesterday said might be as good as any receiver they're going to face this year. Um, just just really really special when it comes to tracking the deep ball. Uh, he can go up and make plays and you know makes lots of big plays. He's the the school leader in career reception, or excuse me, receiving yards, receiving touchdowns, and then he, I think he's number four on the list in receptions. But you know, could pass that here in a couple of weeks. So obviously, he's a he, he's quite a threat, and those two are are one of the better duos in the country. Yeah, and there's no, no question about it. And uh, they uh, they this should uh, be a challenge for this Alabama defense. And I know Western Kentucky's got to be kind of chomping at the bit, uh, a chance to go up against the number one team in the country. Everyone saw what Alabama did to Southern California last week, but uh, Western Kentucky, uh, Nick Saban's already mentioned it, uh, the fact that he feels like Western is better than two teams uh, that, that beat SEC schools last week. That's heady praise and a great opportunity for Jeff Brom and his staff and the kids. Right, and you know, obviously a lot of that is, you know, Nick Saban's not going to go out there and, 
you know, <laughs> talk about any opponent and say, you know, we're, we're going to beat these guys. And obviously there's, there's a little bit of coach speak there, but I think a lot of it, you know, he's, he's being honest. He, he, I think he, he really respects what, uh, what Jeff Prom does that offense. He, he tried to hire Jeff Prom as right. the coordinator back in 2007. And, and Jeff chose to stay at Wolf where his brother Brian was quarterback. But, uh, but now I think he really respects what, uh, what, what Jeff has done there. And, you know, as a defensive coordinator, you know, guy that came up, you know, as a defensive coordinator, I think he respects what Western Kentucky does offensively. So, uh, yeah, I think there's definitely definitely a, a, a good amount of respect there from from Nick Saban. I think he's been trying to trying to pass that on to his players. And then uh, and kind of talk about uh, Mike White and what and you've seen him uh, in practice and now in his uh, first game. Uh, what makes him uh, such a special quarterback or uh, such a good fit? What for for this system? It looks like. Well, the the thing they talked about when he finally won the job was his consistency. Um, he, he ended up competing against. Um, Three guys during spring practice, and another two during fall camp, and it, it was it was a close race coming down to the last couple weeks of fall camp. But got to the point where we didn't know if uh, if, if Coach Brown was going to name a starter before the opener, but uh, he went ahead and named Mike White the starter. And then both he and his brother Brian Brom, he's now the quarterback coach, talked about just how consistent Mike White was. How he came out to practice, same attitude every day. How he weren't you know knew the playbook, knew the system really well. Um, just seemed to be a really good fit for the offense. And then I think if you're a Western Kentucky fan, you have to be really confident with the way he looked in the openers because he just he looked like he'd been out there before. He didn't look like a first-time quarterback. He stood in the pocket. He was making throws. He trusted his arm. He was going downfield. He, he looked like a guy who was, uh, you know, who was really embracing that moment. And then the two receivers you talked about, Norris and Taylor, uh, get a chance to match up against this Alabama secondary. Marlon Humphrey uh, shutting down Juju Smith-Schuster coming off an 89-catch, 1,300-plus-yard season uh, and, uh, and I believe 10 touchdowns for the Trojans. He was uh, sl- severely slowed down. Marlon also taking back a pick six. How do you see these uh, Western Kentucky receivers matching up against this Alabama secondary? Anthony Averett, though, was picked on a little bit in the game. Yeah, I mean, I mean uh, obviously these are to be the best, you know, some of the best defensive backs Western Kentucky is going to face this year. Uh, it's also a really good chance, honestly, for for Taywan Taylor and some of these other guys to showcase their their NFL draft potential. I think there'll be, you know, probably upwards of, of twenty scouts at that game on Saturday. This is their chance to really, uh, you know, show that you can go up against guys like Marlon Humphrey and and compete at that level. So it'll be interesting to see. Obviously, a lot of it'll have to do with how much time. Uh, the the offensive line gives uh, gives Mike White to throw the ball. If Bama has to use uh, you know use, use some extra blitzers to get after the quarterback, because if they do, then there might be some more one on one situations, and maybe that's the case where, where Western can, can get a few plays to go their way. Yeah, absolutely. And then uh, we know that uh, they they want to throw the ball. This is an offense that kind of throws to set up the run. Uh, would that be accurate in your mind? And what and what about this running game? What do you think they need to get out of it against Alabama? Well, the running game is a little bit of a question mark right now. So they went into the season with uh, Anthony Ace Wales and DeAndre Furby as kind of a you know inside outside combo with Wales being the outside guy and Furby being more of a between the tackles runner. But Furby got injured on the first play uh, or on his first carry against Rice and missed the rest of the game and. You know, Brom said earlier this week probably doubtful for the for the Alabama game. We'll get an update on that status uh, at some point today. But uh, 
Yeah, I, I, I think as long as they can just get something going with the running game, obviously they, they don't need to rush for you know 200 yards. I don't think anyone is expecting them to do that. But as long as they can just keep Alabama honest, they can use some play action, I think that would really really accomplish what they need to get out of the running game. And then uh, the one key to this offense is when you have an, an outstanding offensive line, they've got five returning starters on this O-line, uh, Brad. Uh, just kind of talk about it from kind of left to right and uh, how it needs to perform. This will probably be the best front seven they see all year. Oh, yeah, there's, there's no doubt about that. Uh, Forrest Lamp, the left tackle, is, is the star of the line. He's a guy that uh, – he, he's, he's one of those guys that can only impress the NFL scouts this week. Uh, he'll probably be a guard – a guard prospect at the next level. I think he's uh, you know around six four something like that, and that translates more to more to playing guard in the NFL. But he's a guy who's uh, who's been starting left tackle at Western Kentucky since his freshman year. Really solid. Uh, next to him is Brandon Ray. He's actually a Madison, Alabama native. Oh, nice. Um, yeah, they have him, uh, Max Alpin at center, Dennis Edwards at right guard, and Darrell Williams Jr. right tackle. And all those guys returned from last year. Then they were on an offense that averaged. You know more than 44 points a game. So obviously they they have a lot of confidence in themselves as a group. But like you said, this is definitely the the best front seven they'll see all season. Yeah, no question about that. And then talk about uh, what what you think they need to do offensively. Obviously they're going to have to protect White. Uh, Alabama's front four has done a great job rushing the passer, uh, even in the first game with. Uh, three sacks and numerous pressures of the SCQBs. I heard uh, Jeff Brome on the Feinbaum show the other day uh, talking about how uh, Alabama's so tough to move the ball on because they don't have to really blitz to get pressure. What do you think this WKU offense is going to have to do to have success? Well, what Western Kentucky does best is, is hit deep balls and have big plays. And mm-hmm. I, I think a lot of times it's the teams that try dink and dunk against Bama and try to slow, you know, try to, you know, try to be cute with them, but end up you know, getting getting crushed. I, I think for Western Kentucky to have a shot, it needs to just go out and play its game. It needs to to throw those deep balls, take those chances, because that's the uh, you know that's how they're going to get the big plays. You know, if it comes down to a game where you're matching up toe to toe with them every single snap, you know, Western's not going to win that. But if they can if they can hit some big plays, if they can you know contain that pass rush, make that happen, then, then maybe it's the case they can they can, they can keep themselves in the game going to the second half. And then I know uh, you talked about Coach Holt on the defensive side of the ball, uh, and they they want they they want to emphasize turnovers, and that's going to be a key against Alabama. How do you see their front seven and and D line matching up against this Alabama offensive line, which is talented, uh, but only really has one starter in the same place as last season, and that's left tackle Cam Robinson. Yeah, if there's one area where where Western Kentucky's defense sort of struggled last year was the pass rush. They they didn't they didn't get a lot of oh, didn't get a lot of sacks and they didn't have any sacks in their opener. Uh, they brought in Nick Dawson Brent, who was the former Army All American out of high school. He and Keith Brown, who's actually another former Army All American, both went to Louisville and they both came to Western Kentucky this year's grad transfers. Uh, Brown is the middle linebacker and Dawson Brent is the uh, is the defensive end. And, they're really, really relying on Dawson Brent to, to get a pass rush to get after the quarterback. He's, he's battled some injuries during uh, during fall camp and didn't actually start the game last week, but, but played a little bit. So they're going to need those guys to, to really get after the quarterback. And you know, when when you're playing freshman quarterbacks, the hope is you can get them flustered and make them make freshman mistakes. But in order to do that, you, you have to get a rush on them. 
Yeah, you really do. And this, and then this linebacker group uh, for Western Kentucky, uh, they're going to be counted on uh, to help stop the run, slow the run down. And really, they've got another uh, dimension that they're going to have to deal with now. I'm sure that Coach Brom uh, has been talking about uh, Jalen Hurts. Uh, it hasn't been announced, as you know, Brad, but I think it's very mm-hmm. likely he's going to start. And now uh, he gave USC a lot of problems with his legs. Yeah, absolutely. We, you know, we, we, we talked to the, some of the defensive players after practice on Wednesday, and they talked about how you know the, they're, they're preparing for different quarterbacks. They obviously know that the different dimensions each of the quarterbacks bring. But uh, the linebackers, uh, T.J. McCollum is the uh, is the team's leading tackle from last year. He's a guy that actually transferred from UAB when when mm. the Blazers shut down the program a little bit. He is he transferred to Western Kentucky and became. You know, arguably the team's best defensive player. Uh, he's he, he's a really solid tackler. He's a guy that could probably be in all those one-on-one situations where a quarterback is is running around. So obviously guys like him will have to step up and make make plays. Uh, Keith Brown at middle linebacker. Uh, Joel Ibunaway, another outside linebacker. Uh, Drew Davis. There's there's several of those guys in that unit, and I'm sure they'll all have to you know make 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 tackles when they get the quarterback in space. Because missed tackles against like Jalen Hurts can uh, can obviously end pretty badly for the defense. Yeah, it really could. And then this uh, receiver group, Ardarius Stewart had a huge first game, but Calvin Ridley only a couple catches for nine yards was really uh, in a a couple of jet sweeps, really didn't do a whole lot. Uh, We didn't see much of him. No catches for Robert Foster. Uh, A deep ball for O.J. Howard later in the game and and, uh, Garrick Dieter. How do you see this uh, talented Alabama receiver group matching up against this Hilltopper secondary? Well, the, the the Hilltoppers cornerbacks they they had experience playing last year, but this is their first year starter. So DeAndre Simmons, who who came up with a actually it was Sports Center's number one play of an interception he had last week. Him and Joe Brown are the two starting cornerbacks, and then uh, Laverick Johnson's a nickelback who'll see a lot of time at corner, and then Marcus Ward, who's a Birmingham guy, and uh, Brandon Western of the safeties. And you know, like, like like we talked about earlier, they really emphasize turnovers and you know, interceptions, things like that, and you know, when when they get a chance to make those plays, when you know one of those receivers runs the wrong route, there's miscommunication, or something like that. They they definitely have to take advantage of it. But you know, like we said, this is also the best receiver core that the Western Kentucky will face all season. So it, it's definitely going to be a challenge for them. And then uh, this running back group for Alabama, they played four in the opener, including two freshmen in uh, B.J. Emmons and Joshua Jacobs. Uh, a big uh, game for someone I know you're probably familiar with, Damian Harris uh, from Berea, uh-huh. Kentucky. He has 138 on nine carries. Bo Scarborough thought to be the starter, but it was beating it was beaten out by Harris in uh, camp. Uh, do you think uh, Western Kentucky can slow down the run of the Crimson Tide? Well, it's definitely going to start with the defensive line, the interior of the defensive line. Uh, you know, Omarius Bryant and Chris Johnson, the two defensive tackles, they – they really bottled up a lot of what Rice tried to run last week. They got some penetration and and, and really stopped a lot of plays behind the line of scrimmage. But uh, of course, it'll be a lot tougher for them to do that against Alabama, just because of how good the Alabama offensive line is. So, uh, you know, kind of like we talked about the quarterbacks. You know, you can't be missing tackles. You have to just play your assignments. You can't can't let running backs like Damian Harris get past the linebackers because if you do, you know, that that, that could be sick. Yeah, it really could. And uh, just uh, what has been the attitude of the team this week in practice? Uh, uh, they've got to be excited for this opportunity to, to play in Alabama's home opener and uh, and give it a shot to try to shock the world. Yeah, I think they're really loose, and you know, there's no reason for them not to be. I mean, obviously this isn't a conference game. This is a 
a situation. They're going down there with nothing to lose and everything to gain. So, yeah, they're definitely really loose this week. They're all, all really excited. I've been a lot of energy around you know, a little bit of practice that we've seen. Uh, they've actually been, uh, been pumping music all week at practice, trying to get the music, the crowd noise and everything. But, uh, you know, beyond just the players, even the fans, you know, I know, if, like, um, you know, seems, seems like just about everyone I know is, is trying to make a way to, to get down to that game. I think whole fraternities and sororities are buying up block tickets. Uh, you know, Western Kentucky has 12 players from the state and all of those guys are going to have, you know, family, friends, stuff like that attendance. I, I think, I think it'll actually be a pretty, pretty large Western Kentucky fan base there much more so than, than for a typical Hilltoppers road game. And that, that would be a great trip for them. And you've already had success uh, against the SEC last year, winning at Vanderbilt uh, to start off the 2015 season. Yeah. And, and actually host Vanderbilt on September 24th. Yep. It was part of a, it was a, a three game series where a, uh, you know, two road games in Nashville and a game here. Of course, Nashville and Bowling Green are only an hour apart, so it made sense. But, uh, but yeah, you know, they, I think they take a lot of confidence into into a game like that. But obviously, you know, 2016 Alabama is a lot tougher opponent than, than 2015 Vanderbilt. And I know you've uh, watched the film and uh, and tried to get a, a gauge of the game. Uh, what do you think the chances are for Western Kentucky? And to win it, what do they have to do? Well, I mean, obviously the, the chances for them to win the game outright are, are, are pretty slim uh, from, from the outside looking in. Like, you know, like I said, they really they, they have to make the big plays. You know, they, they can't let Alabama affect what they do. They have to go out and, and chuck the ball around and, and, and try to put some points on the board. And like we said, you know, defensively they have to, you know, avoid missed tackles. They have to, you know, follow their assignments. You know, if, if if a ball bounces into their hands, they have to intercept the fumbles on the ground. They have to get it. You know, they they, they can't let those opportunities go by. And I think they probably need to make a player two in the, in the punt or kick return game. Uh, Colin Towner is the main returner. He was a guy who was an All Conference returner last year. He's a Mobile native. Uh, he, he's really explosive, and I think he'll uh, he'll have to play a large role if they're going to try to try to pull up stuff. And then talk about the the kickers uh, for Western Kentucky. I saw they didn't punt much against Rice, but uh, he, they, he did an outstanding job. Yeah, uh, Jake Collins is, is the main punter. He's a guy sacked from last year. The kicking situation is still a little bit up in the air. Um, Ryan Nuss, who's been with the program for a couple of years, and Scholar Simcox, who transferred from a Division three school, both kicked field goals in the opener. And we haven't really gotten much vindication of of which guy will be the, the first one to trot out there Saturday. But it sounds like they're just going to you know, sort of play these first few games, let them have some chances, and then you know eventually make a decision on, on who their kicker is going to be. And it should be very interesting. I mean, this is uh, an excellent tune-up for Alabama. They have Ole Miss next week. Uh, Western Kentucky's a, a throwing uh, team. Uh, offensively, they're very similar, I think, to what Ole Miss does. Uh, and it, but it's dangerous. Alabama has to be ready to play because the longer you let Western Kentucky stay in the game, uh, the more confident they're going to get. should be a fascinating matchup. 2.30 p.m. Uh, with the Alabama Crimson Tide on ESPN2 hosting uh, the Western Kentucky Hilltoppers. It's been great, Brad. I really appreciate your time. Let everybody know, of course, where they can read your stuff and follow you on Twitter. And uh, I know we'll be keeping up with your coverage uh, in Tuscaloosa. Yeah, absolutely. Our, our website, or uh, I'm, I'm with the Bowling Green Daily News, our website is bgdailynews.com. We've been having uh, multiple stories there all week about the game. And then I'm on Twitter at... Brad BGDN BGDN. You can follow me there. And, you know, trying to pass along as many updates from practice and, and stories.
stories and videos and everything else throughout the week. That was Brad Stevens giving us a uh, a look behind the curtain for yes. Western Kentucky. You know, I, I have to say, you know, this is this will be the, the the common theme. This will be the toughest that Western Kentucky has seen, and uh, yeah. <laughs> That that is true, Drew. But you know, good 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 perspective always appreciated. And like I said, as I was riffing before you were on break, I haven't had a chance to look at the film of this team. So any 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 insight is appreciated. Yeah, absolutely. We knew we, that would be a great conversation uh, with uh, Brad Stevens. He does a great job. And speaking of conversations, we're going to bring you one final uh, recruiting uh, re, uh, update uh, before we uh, sign off tonight on Bams Radio. And this one. Uh, I talked to John Garcia earlier this week, live from Central Park in New York City. He gave us his thoughts on what we saw against Southern Cal, and uh, as he has started to do, uh, also, uh, you know, kind of give his opinion this year. He's added that to as already a myriad of duties of scouting the state for prospects, covering the state of Alabama, and of course covering Alabama Crimson Tide recruiting for Bama Mag. He's also critiquing the Crimson Tides game uh, each week now, and. Uh, we, uh, he had some thoughts on Alabama and Southern California and the demolition, and then also on recruiting with a prospect you need to remember this name, Jarez Parks. He saw him live last week in Florida, and uh, we spoke to John Garcia earlier this week. John, good afternoon. How are you, sir? Pretty good, man. Uh, got some live action for you as well. If you can't hear the background, uh, I'm in New York City taking a little time uh, away from the game, <laughs> but you know, still working from afar, so it's all good. <laughs> That's, a, that's the beautiful thing about the World Wide Web and social media, John. You can do your job from just about anywhere. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And, of course, you know, the Blue Jays are playing up here in New York, so we've got we to gotta cheer them on as much as we can uh, from afar. Yeah. Here, but this time in person. So, uh, sorry to your Yankees, but uh, I think we'll take game two tonight. Yeah, absolutely. We know, of course, your significant other is a trainer for the Toronto Blue Jays. She does an outstanding job. Uh, but I, I wanted to ask you really quickly about uh, your thoughts. I, I thought your piece was outstanding on what you saw from the Alabama Crimson Tide and the USC Trojans. Uh, you follow recruiting so closely. Many of these guys you've been covering the last two or three years with Scout.com. But just kind of summarize what you what you wrote and what you saw Saturday night. Yeah, I mean, and then obviously this year a lot of the guys we covered just last year are making an impact day one, game yeah. one at Alabama, uh, which is kind of crazy. Uh, of course, we'll start with, with Jalen Hurts, you know, the freshman quarterback. Everyone had been expecting some kind of role, some kind of impact, um, but I like his resiliency. You know, his first play of his college life, fumbles the ball, does not recover, and it's like it's like a microcosm or the beginning of a movie or something. Uh, he rebounds, obviously, very nicely. Um, that first touchdown, Ardarius Stewart, so of course, is going to be the you know, the turning point moment that people will look at in looking at his career probably. Um, but what I loved about it wasn't the throw itself. I think any one of Bama's quarterbacks could have made that throw. It was the situation and the awareness. He was flushed from the pocket. 
He rolled right. He settled his feet and then made the throw on a third and 13, no less. So the, the momentum really wasn't with him until that point, uh, and it was his mental ability uh, to get that job done on third and 13. That was so impressive to me, and obviously his demeanor is something that everybody's talked about for such a long time, and I think he needed every bit of that uh, for that particular play, and then, of course, he, he settled in after that, just the one mistake, uh, that interception to Biggie Marshall after that point. Um, so uh, as good as you could have hoped for a guy like Jalen Hurts, um, some of the other young guys who made plays, I mean, I think, you know, Marlon Humphrey, this is just, uh, you know, his 16th game. For him to be right. so, quote-unquote, inexperienced and to have progressed so much, and he said it after the game. He said, look, last year, game one against Wisconsin, I was kind of nervous, which is weird to hear from, from Humphrey. Those guys are confident, locked in as, as any family. Um, but he admitted that, um, but much more comfortable this time around. And the assignment, just as tough as any he's probably ever undertaken covering Juju Smith-Schuster, who's probably the best receiver in the country and definitely one of the most physically imposing. Holding him to one catch for nine yards is just one of the dumbest things you'll ever see this year. Um, and he had Juju literally frustrated. I saw him yelling at Mac Brown uh, at times during the game. So, uh, Marlon Humphrey's progress in a short time is going to be a big storyline for Alabama, and it filters a lot of ways because now if he's the shutdown guy, that puts the onus on Anthony Averett, on Minka Fitzpatrick, on the other side of the ball, and Bama's going to play a lot of nickel because of the offenses they're going to face. So Averett, while he was tested early and often in this game, uh, he's going to see more of that going forward, sort of like what we saw from Eddie Jackson early in his Alabama career. Averett, an older guy, but experience-wise, pretty, you know, young on the field. So that's going to be an interesting point in the secondary. There's not much else you can say about that defense without praising it. The front four is crazy, and the fact that they can get pressure without blitzing is the single scariest factor for anybody facing Alabama. Typically in the last few years they've had to blitz linebackers, even defensive backs, things like that. But now you can rotate those guys in on the defensive front and rush and just sit back and play behind it. The fact that they can get to the quarterback is simply not fair, and I think that was probably the biggest takeaway from the game defensively. It's still about defense at Alabama, and and with Humphrey on one side and that front four being able to do that against the pass and what's become a pass-happy sport, um, the sky is the limit. All of that is going to take care of itself while these young guys on offense and inexperienced guys on offense all get better, whether you're talking Jalen Hurts, well, you're talking about all these running backs. Damian Harris had a nice showing. So while the offense basically catches up, that defense is going to be as good, as athletic, as ready for this era of football than we've ever seen. And that's just, uh, again, it's just dumb to think about that, but, but that's what we have before us. And then uh, you, before we uh, talk about some prospects, you played defensive back uh, you know, on the college level. Your thoughts on this Alabama secondary, you just talked about Marlon Humphrey and Anthony Averett, but I was going to focus in on the safety positions. Ronnie Harrison, of course, had a little bit of a boil up on Saturday, but a very athletic kid that has a bright future. We've seen Eddie Jackson develop. Uh, Tony Brown should return after the first month. How good overall as a unit in your mind can the secondary be, John? Yeah, it's not very deep in terms of experience. You mentioned some of the key guys there, and we know about the corners. Um, so it will be t- tested with the depth, you know, eventually the attrition of the season will will force a young guy to play like a Shaheen Carter, like maybe a Jared Maiden mm-hmm. after he gets over a minor injury. Um, but that that core group of uh, you mentioned, safeties and corners, Hootie Jones mixed in there as well. 
I think those guys will be as good as any secondary in the country. And, again, they're going to have some help because the guys in front of them are, again, the best front seven in the country. So I think there's going to be some progress needed specifically with Averitt and Fitzpatrick. Remember, Minka, mostly a nickelback a season ago, uh, played in the box a lot. Um, So when teams do come out in base sets, especially, you know, Arkansas, LSU, teams that are in a lineup in pro style, you know, it's going to be on him as an outside guy. And he hasn't done that in a couple of years consistently because even in high school he moved himself to safety in order to be in the action a little bit more. So I think that's going to be a little bit of a learning curve for him. But but obviously he's a five-star talent out of high school, athletic kid. He will be fine. And the same thing goes for Anthony Averitt, track star guy, long and lean. Reps are the only things that can really help them at this point because in the film room, they're as good as can be. Uh, athletically, again, as highly touted as can be. So it's just a matter of getting those reps. And, and they're going to get tested this coming weekend. Western Kentucky, you know, some will look at that schedule and say, no big deal. But uh, it is a big deal. That offense hums. Um, everybody knows you know, what, what kind of spread look they bring. So I think that secondary is going to be tested early and often this week, and it'll be great for Alabama going into the future and obviously SEC play. And then, uh, John, what what were your thoughts uh, on the on the young running backs? I thought Joshua Jacobs and uh, and I know we know you know Emmons very well uh, showed a lot of potential. Yeah, you know um, to think that those guys were both late bloomers in the recruiting process, and now their first college games they're playing against USC. I mean that was that was kind of cool uh, to see come true. Um, yeah, you said it. Both of those guys certainly have a major ability. Emmons more of a one-cut guy, powerful dude. Uh, Jacob's a little shiftier, probably a a tad bit more explosive, Uh, but certainly they could be complements to each other down the road. Uh, So I think that experience is going to be invaluable to them. They've they've gotten their their first hits out the way, all that fun stuff, so now they can focus on getting better and competing with both Scarborough and Damian Harris. And and for Harris, he's another guy like like Humphrey who has really progressed in the last year. Uh, I thought he was – pretty vanilla a season ago of course the sample size was not very big uh but he showed a little bit more polish in his running style he's always had good vision and burst but i think his his mixing all of that with moves in the open field uh created both of those big runs that he put in um just the ability to set up a defender almost like we talk about with wide receivers you know we don't talk about it enough with running backs but that does exist and i think damian showed you a couple of examples of that so If these four stay healthy, and I don't know if any one of them will will be the clear guy, but if these four stay healthy, you could almost just feed the hot hand depending on the game, depending on the situation. Uh, And while it's not conventional what we're used to seeing from Alabama, it's something that I think can work because these pass catchers are as good as we've seen, and now the element of the running quarterback will help them out as well. So the running backs, again, gradually uh, will will show some improvement, and, and one guy might have it while the others don't on a given day, like we saw with Damian Harris in game one. And that's a good thing when these guys are all polished, highly touted guys. Uh, and now they've all got that first experience out of the way. And now uh, we know you were able to see an elite front seven prospect this past weekend, John, Jarez Parks. It looks like Alabama is continuing to put themselves in great position for him. Talk about him and what you saw this past Friday. You talk about a guy inexperienced. I mean, this kid's only been playing football for two or three years, and it's scary to think about that because he's 6'5", 270 pounds, and he plays a stand-up linebacker spot in high school. So a lot of those jack linebacker types that Alabama likes, they have to sort of transition them to to the stand-up role. 
get them used to playing in space. Well, this kid, even though he's raw in general, he already plays that stand-up role. He's already playing in space. He's breaking on the football and breaking up slant routes. I mean, that should not happen at his size. And then when he rushes the passer, he's, he's a force. He can split a double team. Um, and when he gets to the ball, when he gets to the ball carrier, I should say, he separates the ball. He was responsible for three turnovers in limited action last Friday night. We just put a video of it for free on BamaMag.com. So check that out. I think it'll get Bama fans pretty excited about the potential to bring a guy like that in. Uh, sky is the limit once he hits the weight room, polishes up little things. But tight weight, speed, and style, you can't really coach. He's got all of that in the bag already. So uh, a big-time prospect, an easy-to-see high four-star. Could maybe even be a five-star down the road. And Ben was in good shape. I think Florida's probably the primary competition, but he's in no rush. So look for him to get back to Tuscaloosa. He'll certainly go to Gainesville as well. Um, Florida State, Auburn, several others in the mix. Uh, but it does seem like it's becoming a, a Bama-Florida situation. But, again, a long way to go. So um, this Jerez Park storyline will be one uh, we follow very closely going forward. Yeah, and it looked like uh, when you were doing your research, John, that he had uh, visited Alabama uh, more often than you had uh, anticipated. Yeah, you know, he's a really quiet, humble kid. He doesn't really do recruiting interviews. Even when I spoke to him on Friday, he was kind of like, okay, you came here to see me, so I'll talk to you. But you can tell he kind of <laughs> didn't want to do it anyway. So we didn't hold him very long, just a couple of minutes. So, uh, yeah, he ended up taking multiple visits to Bama before we started tracking it. We thought his overnight stay in late July for that Champions uh, cookout was his first Bama visit, but indeed it was not, which is good news for Alabama because they feel good and they obviously want him. He's arguably the top-edge guy on the board right now. So that's huge news because Gainesville is much closer. He's got family there. He's visited there more. So any more trips to Tuscaloosa he's already gotten in are big. He said Bama treats him like a family. He likes that. He doesn't like flash. He wants, you know, he wants that you know, structured, clear, family atmosphere, business-first type mentality on the field. And obviously Alabama checks all of those boxes. So I think Bama's going to be in it all the way through. But, again, any additional visits here would really um, enhance Alabama's chances against Florida, which you would expect to have as many or maybe more visits upcoming for a guy who's in state like Therese Park. So, uh, yeah, that was a pleasant surprise from the Bama perspective that he's already been to Tuscaloosa several times and he's feeling more comfortable there. And now to wrap it up with you, John, of course, this is John Garcia of Scout.com and BamaMag.com live from New York City uh, as the Yankees <laughs> take on the Blue Jays later today. Uh, but, John, uh, what, what, there was a significant development, too, with a uh, wide receiver target that many may have not been thinking about lately, and that's Jeff Thomas. Yeah, I mean, Jarrett Sparks is the number 60 prospect in the country, and Jeff Thomas is number 50. So you're talking about two of the best prospects in America, regardless of position. Jeff, a slot receiver, a smaller guy, but just dynamic. He was literally the fastest prospect at the opening, which is a collection of 150 of the best prospects in the country. So you can say he's the fastest prospect in the country. Um, so that alone should get any fan base excited. Um, but we thought he was really going to take his time with his recruitment and consider you know, many schools, you know, SEC, Big Ten, uh, you know, he's from Illinois, East St. Louis. Um, so you would expect those schools to have more of a chance. However, you know, uh, Nate Latch, who covers Missouri for us, saw him play Saturday, and after the game he says, look, I'm down to Bama and Missouri. So kind of a curveball there. Um, the, the good news, I, I think, for all involved is that he's still taking his time. So while he's filtered it down to these two SEC schools, he's still going to take his time. So it's looking like, 
it's going to be a long evaluation process, and it's going to be, you know, do I stay home, basically, and go to Missouri, where five of his former teammates currently play, or do you buck the trend and head south to Tuscaloosa? That's something we see every year. Bama has been on both sides of this equation with out-of-state prospects, so I think uh, it's going to make this one drag out a little bit more because he's been a high-profile guy for such a long time. So that receiver board continues to get interesting. Devontae Smith, Henry Ruggs, two of the top targets, have pushed their decisions back. Um, so Bama's third and fourth receiver slots in this class are somewhat up in the air, and it looks like most of the targets, Nico Collins included, are going to wait it out till closer to the end of the process. And that's where things can get tricky in terms of who still has a spot, how many numbers are available. The, the good thing for Bama, though, is that the board will be much clearer in December than it is right now. So it will definitely know how many it can take when these guys are ready to make a decision. That's why I think it benefits Bama that Jeff is taking his time. Because if he tried to pop right now, I'm not sure how it would work out. Well, Drew, that was John Garcia. And that was, yep, that was John Garcia and a great update there, uh, Thomas, and a great uh, BAMS radio tonight. I, I thoroughly enjoyed myself. I I think that Williams' take in hour one was, quite frankly, spectacular and functionally all-encompassing. And then the, the preview with Brad Stevens was a perspective that we simply didn't have. At least I know I didn't, and I know a bunch of fans that have tried to ask me about the game haven't had. And then, heck. Got to worry about the next class while Alabama's trying to win another national championship. <laughs> Absolutely. So we wanted to bring you a little bit of recruiting tonight. We covered the whole gamut. And one note before we get out of here, uh, Thomas, huge basketball recruiting weekend for Avery Johnson. Troy Brown, uh, the guard from Las Vegas, Nevada, is in town for an official visit and has now been confirmed via Cecil Hurt. So is point guard Colin Sexton, two five-stars in town, along with Pelham forward Alex Reese could be three huge pieces to the puzzle for Avery Johnson in uh, the 2017 hoops class. Here's to hoping, you know, uh, buckle up. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> Absolutely. Great stuff. But always uh, love being on BAM's radio with you, Thomas. Great. Hope our listeners enjoyed it. Have a great night. Alabama, Western Kentucky, 2:30 ESPN two, the next chapter in the Jalen Hurts saga, Blake Barnett as well. Hurts so good. Roll Tide, everybody have a great night, and we'll talk with you next Thursday night.